with Steve Allen. If you're sorry for Colleen Rooney, every picture of her should all be a little lonesome. No friends, an husband with a bad thatch on his head, and pushing the poor kid around Krakow being followed by a film crew. What a dreadful life. And no friends. I mean, where are her friends? Where are the people to talk to? Where are the other wags? I love the way one of the papers has enlisted the help of Nancy Delusional, who luckily we haven't heard of for quite a while. She sort of disappeared as the papers have suddenly realised that this poor old soul has no fashion sense whatsoever. And she says, of course, we were far more stylish than the wags. I love the way she, she includes herself in that. I've never seen a woman with less fashion sense. You'd be hard pushed to find somebody who's that old and that haggard looking, looking that bad. Need to start watching the television a bit more over here. But anyway, there's a lovely picture of poor Colleen all by herself. I mean, her old her own umbrella and everything. Just flown in on a private jet. And uh, here they are, just wandering around. She must think it's like Manchester. Except there aren't the same sort of high fashion shops, probably, for her to go and spend a small fortune in. Because I think that's why she doesn't hang around with the other wives. It's because she's a little bit uh, mutton-dressed as mutton. And she goes around the shops and she wants to spend a lot of money. And, of course, you know, in Poland, they're not, they're not kind of like that. They're just sort of down-to-earth, ordinary people. I wouldn't really know what to do with something like her at all. I did laugh. I did laugh at the BBC... It said BBC presenter as I was coming up in the lift. And I'm looking, thinking, BBC presenter, BBC presenter. Who could this be? And I didn't know who it was. Dan Pentiardo. I had no idea who Dan... I thought perhaps he, perhaps he works on some obscure BBC channel somewhere. No, he's on Rogue Traders. He's that limpet who does the motorbiking with Matt Allwright. He's the one who drives and speaks like this. And uh, we've got to go out and sort out these benefit crooks. And it turns out that due to a few misunderstandings, he ended up with £24,000 he shouldn't have been entitled to. And he forgot to go to court. And so they issued a summons. But then they've taken that away because apparently he turned up at the police station. And it's all a dreadful misunderstanding. It always is. It always is, and we can only hope for Dan's sake. I mean, I really hope so, Dan, that they sort this out as quickly as possible for you. Because to be honest with you, you know, claiming benefit while you're working for the BBC is, I mean, it's, it does look a bit strange, doesn't it? And also, I mean, it's, it's you know, £24,000. It's not like a 1000 is it? And I would hate, I would hate to be sitting here in a, you know, in a couple of weeks' time saying that you are a benefit fraudster. I mean, that would be awful, because up until now, you know, people like you on television... I mean, it's, it's easy to forget, isn't it, 24... I mean, I'm constantly forgetting 24,000. I'm constantly sitting there going, do you know, I think I'll... Oh, I can't remember if I spent 24,000 the other day. Did I claim that? I can't remember if I claimed that on my benefits. I don't... It's very difficult to... Um, but anyway, so he, he failed to turn up to court... It goes back a few years, but of course he's been with Rogue Traders for quite a few years as well. About 2001, he teamed up with Matt Allwright. To be honest with you, they are the most boring twosome you've ever seen on the television. I mean, they're bo- but what it is, it's a little tiny segment of a programme that Matt Allwright, who quite clearly has got inflated ideas above his station, he's not quite as bad as Matt Baker, but they've got the same first name. You know, so you get the, you get the, get the feeling that most people called Matt generally are. And and so he sort of is sort of there, and, and they sort of turned it into a little thing, especially just getting on and doing the exposures, which is all we're interested in. It's a bit Dominic Littlewood. There's a man who can drag a two-minute item out for about half an hour, and you just go, Christ, so boring, so boring. So you sort of you sort of look at, at these people in the papers, and then you think to yourself, you know, I mean, how much of a misunderstanding can it be? You know, how much of a misunderstanding can it be for £24,000? I mean, you kind of remember that. I'd have thought you'd remember that. I mean, I don't, I don't know, actually. Perhaps, I mean, sometimes if you're really busy, it would be very easy, wouldn't it? You know, to, to well, I suppose, I don't know. 
I'm erring on the side of caution, and I'm trying to think that maybe he has genuinely made a mistake. But when it gets as far as you're due in court and you don't bother to turn up, I'm then thinking you're either particularly stupid or, you know... And, and then when, when the, the papers went round to his house, he wasn't there. I mean, I don't know. If it had been me and I really had genuinely made a mistake, I'd be there going, I'm really... Do you know, I can't believe I did this. There was somebody in court the other day, a pop star, accused of not filing tax returns. And and you think, I mean, we all, we don't want to file them. And you kind of get to that situation where you go, oh, I don't, that's why we employ an accountant. But when I heard about Shane Phelan yesterday, we were a bit sympathetic that the man who, you know, can sit on a stool with four other people and, and sing some really lovely songs that your grandmother would love, you know, has done very well. And he hadn't lost 18 million of his own money. Oh, no, 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 no. He'd borrowed it from the bank. He'd borrowed it, and then and he'd started, but he knows nothing about building houses, quite clearly. In fact, he didn't know anything about anything apart from singing. And so they then go, well, you're going to have to declare yourself bankrupt. And he's going, oh, no, for £18 million that he owes the Irish banks. Now, you go bankrupt in Ireland, and generally it lasts on your record for about, I think, 12 years. 12 years is about, about the standard time. So what does he do with, a, with, a, with some very clever accountants? Let's relocate him to Surrey. So that's what he's done. He's relocated from Ireland to Surrey, set up home here, so that the case can be heard here. And it was held at Kingston Crown Court the other day. Now, I don't know, call me an old cynic, but doesn't that just smack of something not very nice? You know, you borrowed the money off the Royal Bank of Ireland, or the Bank of Ireland, you're building houses in Ireland, absolutely diddly squat to do with us here, but because you've relocated, due to a quirk... In the system, you can get the case heard here. And in a year, he can be, you know, out of bankruptcy. It's a bloody fiddle, isn't it? I mean, let's face it. Let's not beat around the bush here. That's what he's done it for. He's done it to avoid the 12 years. And yet, so proud to be Irish. Well, quite clearly not. Quite clearly more proud to be Surrey. You know, because Surrey means you get a lighter sentence. It's a bit of a swizz, isn't it? And there's Louis Walsh, old Louise Walsh, going, you know... Shane will, you know, he, he, he came from nothing and, you know, and he's lost it all, but he, he will be back again. He'll be a huge star. Now, you know, this is Louise Walsh, who's never got anything right in his life. He hasn't got the faintest idea about anything. You know, he, he might better manage a boy band, single people, you know, and Jedward, but then you don't really manage Jedward. You just get people to book them because they're silly little boys. They jump up and down. Shane Phelan's getting on a bit now. He's got a family and he's not going to be a big star. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way because I love Westlife. I bought all the albums. I thought one, they were one of my best interviews. I'm just thinking that when you get to sort of 30-something, it, it really doesn't... It means that, you, you know, you're, you're not, you can't relaunch a solo career. People liked him because he was part of the group. They didn't like any one person in the band any more than anybody else. So that's why he, he will not be a big star again. He could bring out a fantastic album. Even the reviews of Cheryl Cole's album, they say she's, you know, she's nowhere near being a solo performer. She's miles away from it. Absolutely miles away from it. Because she doesn't... A, she doesn't have any songs that are decent. B, they don't know what what, what, she, what she actually does for a living, apart from just wear clothes that don't match. And B, she's about three inches tall. And it's just, it's just pants. It's just pants, I'm afraid. It was a little bit like watching... I don't know if you've read any of the reviews of poor Mark Wright's programme. Oh, my God. They've annihilated it. What they've said... Somebody just wrote the thing, make it stop. Make it stop now. Because, of course, poor poor Mark Wright, who can't act for Toffee. He is so wooden, he makes Sherwood Forest seem animated. He's that bad. He's got one of those creepy faces that makes you think, I don't like you. 
I don't like you at all. You're a bit fake. And you know what he's like because you've seen him when he's been not very pleasant. He's got some very unpleasant friends as well that he hangs around with. Not on this programme, surprisingly. In fact, some of his best friends he doesn't seem to include at all. The programme is rubbish. It's the biggest non-event ever. In fact, I've never seen such a low-rent waste of time and money for everybody. And for him, as a, and he thinks that, that this is going to launch a career where he's going to be playing James Bond in America. Grow up, fat boy. Grow up. It's not going to happen. Never in a million... If I live here and sit till I'm 50, you will never, ever, ever be playing any part in a movie. You can't act. You can't even do your way through a cheap, and I mean cheap, reality show. Mind you, even more worrying is the fact that Gary Barlow has been named Celebrity Dad of the Year. And you think... Now, come on, hands up, everybody. When was the time that you ever saw Gary Barlow with his children in the paper? Answer, you don't. Because he doesn't put his children in the paper, unlike Peter Andre, who loves his kids and was knocked off the top. I mean, he doesn't mention his family at all. You'll be very hard-pushed to find photographs of Gary Barlow exploiting his children. He doesn't do that. That's not his sort of thing. And quite clearly, the people were going, oh, we can't vote for Peter Andre again. The public are beginning to loathe this poor little soul. And so, and, and, he, and he is such, such a good father. He's never there. He's never there. He's either out filming, organising, he's always doing something. There's never anything where, you know, collecting his awards and stuff like that. But, but they've named him Celebrity Dad because it gives publicity to this sort of company that come up with these crackpot ideas of, you know, if you seriously think Peter Andre's a celebrity dad, you're living in cloud cuckoo land. Fancy it. We know he loves his kids. Doesn't he love his kids? But uh, he also exploits his kids, unlike Jordan, who doesn't exploit her children and put them on the television. But then as they flip over to uh, old Andre's programme and there they all are, large as life, running around, you know, putting makeup on and sort of running with their shirts off and sitting in hot tubs. Because frankly, unless you put them in poor Peter Andre's programme, he doesn't do anything else. There's nothing else in the programme. You feel a bit sorry for him. You really want him to do something else. You want him to sort of kind of have a life. You know, and as Peter says at the beginning of every programme, you know, you're all really interested in who my girlfriend is. No, we're not remotely interested. I'm serious, I'd be more interested if you went out with somebody called Nigel or Brian. I'm not remotely interested in girlfriends. You go, oh, you're a 40-year-old man, for God's sake. I did like uh, Floyd, Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, the boxing champion. He's lost his court fight to be released from jail because he says the, uh, the food is very poor quality and they're only giving water to drink. Oh, diddums. You enjoy it in there, girlfriend. Come on, you'll have a lovely time. Quarter past four. This is LBC Three. Morning, everybody. 17 minutes past uh, four. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast on LBC 97.3. It's a picture of Sally Burko sort of walking in the water in Barbados. It's a shame, really. Most of us are hoping under the water would be far more preferable. Sally Burko is being paid two grand to give a, a, a talk over there. Don't wear a bikini again, love. OK, just I'd mention that now. You know, probably, probably fine for Paddy Doherty, but uh, not for the rest of us. And then there's the Christian doctor. They got everybody a bit riled up overnight, didn't they? This is the Christian doctor who's complained he's a victor, discussing religion with somebody, assuming... I mean, to actually say to this person that uh, he would suffer or would be haunted by the devil if he didn't turn toward Jesus. I tell you, I'd have hit him in the face. Don't discuss, start discussing something like that with me. I don't discuss my life with you. Not interested. You're a doctor. You're paid to, you know, very well, thank you very much indeed, to hand out things. You're not paid to push your face down somebody's throat. We don't want to hear that kind of thing. 
you know, whether suicidal or otherwise. It was absolutely, you know, absolutely wrong on every single level. And that's why he's not a victim of religious discrimination. That's just like being a big girl's blouse and going, oh, because it didn't go my way. You know, everybody is sort of going to complain about it. I mean, it is saddening. It is saddening that doctors do this kind of thing. It's not the first time I've heard this story before. I think every so often it throws itself up and there'll be a, a Christian doctor. When I go to my doctor, I have no idea what religion they are. They could be atheist. They could be Muslim. I've got no idea. It never even crosses my mind. I don't expect them to start preaching to me and saying, you know, this'll happen if you turn to Jesus and this'll happen and that'll happen. It's a load of old rubbish. It's rubbish. You just go in there to be treated by a doctor. As somebody said earlier on, I think probably very much tongue-in-cheek, you don't go to church to get your medical problems sorted out, do you? You don't wander in to say to the vicar, oh, I've got this pain here. Can you do something about that? Trust in the Lord and it will go away. Sadly, it isn't. The cemeteries are littered with people who trusted in the Lord and it didn't happen, let me tell you. So here is this Dr Scott who, uh, who said he offered the troubled patient spiritual guidance after first checking that he didn't mind. Now, again, I've heard that. I've heard that side of it. But I don't think it's a, in a doctor's remit to start discussing things like that, whether or not the patient... Because if somebody's a bit suicidal, they're not thinking properly. You're not thinking logically. So if somebody says, do you mind if I do... No, yeah, do that, do that. You're not thinking. You're absolutely not thinking about it at all. And that's why it's, that's why it's a bit sad. It's a bit sad. I'm not surprised, because I said before, I've, I've seen these stories over the years. It's uh, people who are... Is it the Jehovah's Witnesses that don't have blood transfusions? And so they will, they will happily, happily let somebody die in the family because they won't, they won't allow blood to be used. And you think, and oh, this is religion, is it? How does that work? But it's only because we don't understand their religion that they're allowed to get away with it. But if people challenged it, they'd be saying, listen, you can't, I'm sorry, Hippocratic Oath, we're giving them blood transfusion, whether you like it or not. But they will do everything in, in their power. It doesn't matter whether it's a child or whatever, that they seem to think it's some God-given right that the child is, or the adult, is going somewhere else. And you think, I'm so glad I'm not in that religion. I quite like, you know, if all of a sudden I become ill, I'm going to get some blood from somewhere. Some well-meaning person is going to have donated blood and I'm going to get it, which, which is good. Uh, Hugh says, that Dan from the Rogue Trader story is quite funny. Well, they put his face on the Rogue Trader's gallery. I don't, they have a wall, don't they? They have a wall where they actually put up people who've, who've cheated people. <laughs> be funny if his picture's up there next week. I want to feel feature on the programme. I don't know whether it's even on the television at the moment. They're probably, uh, probably filming it, I should imagine, even as we speak. And the BBC have said, quite right, actually. You know, it's it's in his private life. You know, it's up to him to sort it out. We'll we'll wait and see what the outcome is. I mean, twenty four thousand pounds. I mean, you hope, don't you? Because I mean, if 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 all of a sudden it, it goes belly up and he's found guilty, it's going to kill his career stone dead. Mind you, I don't think he's actually got a career. I think his career is driving a motorbike for Matt Allwright. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to drive a motorbike with Matt Allwright right behind me. I don't know. I, I just wouldn't. I'm not very good on motorbikes anyway. I get quite frightened with things like that. I think they're very dangerous. But uh, he's on there. I mean, do you know, all the time he was presenting, do you think he's ever thinking, because I'm famous, I'm going to be found out that I've, I've got some extra money, like quite a bit of extra money, like £24,000 extra money. Because <laughs> it's no small amount, is it? Uh, 84850. Nancy is the, uh, the fashion person in the Sunday Sun. Why would you ever want advice from her? I know, I think they do it as a joke, really. I think they actually say... The, here, here is Nancy Delolio, who's our fashion expert, because she hasn't got the faintest idea. In fact, I've, 
To be honest with you, for an Italian woman, she is the worst dressed I've ever seen. She wears outfits that, you know, if, if you want to go for somebody stylish, you know, then, then, then look at Sophia Loren. Look at Sophia Loren. If you want to see a stylish Italian woman at the age of, what, what is she, 78? You know, that's, that's the kind of woman you look at. Not some, some old has-been like Nancy Delolio, claimed to fame, slept with Sven-Goran Eriksson. But then he slept with uh, Ulrika Johnson and loads of... Oh, who cares? That's her claim to fame nowadays. Awful. Dreadful, isn't it? Very sad. I'm so glad it's Friday. I'm so glad it's Friday. I do love Friday. I love the story, really, in, in a strange roundabout way of the girl who goes to school. Her name is Courtney Blade Wilkinson. But then I've long since discovered most people with double-barrelled names tend to be chav. Because, they, because the, the parents have, have, have sort of not married, so they take both names. So Court, Courtney Blade Wilkinson, I know nothing of her, except for the fact at the age of 13, she's got hair extensions in to celebrate her birthday. I mean, to be honest with you, the school has rules. In my school, it was your hair did not go over your collar. That was Borstal. And, uh, and, you know, you didn't have hair like that. Your hair was cut to a regulation cut. If, you know, and you cleaned your shoes. You turned up and you looked smart. Now you've got some 13-year-old turning up at school with hair extensions. And the rule is no hair extensions. No colouring of hair. What is it about this that you're not understanding? I couldn't care less whether it's to celebrate a friend's birthday. You might have it done in a school holiday. You know, do it at the school holiday. Going back to school, you take them out and you follow, the, you, you follow what the school ruling is. And the school ruling is no hair extensions, no colouring. Unless you're particularly stupid, Courtney, and your mother doesn't understand what the school rule is. But I thought most parents were fairly, fairly au fait with everything. Uh, the mother here. But so anyway, so Courtney Blade Wilkinson goes in. She might not talk like that. I have a feeling she doesn't. But she, she goes into school. She's got hair extensions. So they take her down to the science laboratory, and they then melt the glue holding the hair extensions and take them out. Which was probably taking it a bit too far. What you should have done is taken it to the headmistress's office or the headmaster and, uh, and say, listen, go and take them out or you're banned from school. It's as simple as that. We're not, not messing around with a person like you. You're 13-year-old. You do, do what you're told, OK? And you take your mother as well. And when we tell you to do something, you do it. Otherwise... Keep her at home. Let, let the mother educate her to whatever standard you think you have. I mean, it is ridiculous. She should have been sent home, but they took her down to the laboratory. And that's where I think they're going to come a cropper on this one. Otherwise, I'm all in favour of, of the school telling some little mouthy 13-year-old, don't have hair extensions. These are the rules. You know, you don't go to school wearing your G-string, do you? You know, and things like that. A little tiny... Oh, actually, I was worried about the little tiny short skirts, but around our way, some of the girls are wearing short skirts that when they walk up the stairs at Twickenham Station, they have to put their hand on the back because their, sh- their skirts are so short. And you feel like saying, I'm sorry, are you, are you renting by the hour or something? What are you doing? Can you not wear some a- appropriate... They look like they're wearing clothes that probably would have suited them when they were nine years old. So here you've got this girl, and they were trying to melt off, and the, uh, the headmaster says, we're aware of the incident and are currently investigating. Uh, the, the mother, of course, gone apoplectic. Absolutely. You know what mothers are like. Oh, I can't believe it. They take my daughter and they try... There are rules, and if you don't follow the rules, then you're going to get yourself into trouble. Courtney said, I said it burns, because they were using some kind of heat gun. And um, they looked really embarrassed. All my friends to see me taken out of class, and if that happened, it's humiliating. Well, you shouldn't have been in class with them in, in the first place, should you? Dumbo you, I'm afraid. Mrs Blades Wilkinson said she'd rejected an apology from the school and was demanding disciplinary action. Oh, of course. oh, here we go. She'll be wanting money next. Haven't you got a feeling there's something coming uh, just around the corner? 
You know, I don't want an apology. What do you want? Dis- fire that teacher. She humiliated my little 13-year-old. She was only doing what all 13-year-olds had. Hair extensions, nails, full makeup. You know, that kind of stuff. Hands up who thinks we might be going to war with Argentina. OK, so I check that one now. You know, because now that they're going there and they've got some feisty old bag running Argentina going, I've looked in the, in the history books and uh, the Malvinas is ours. And Cameron's going, oh, no, it's not going to kick off again, is it? Not going to kick off again. Hopefully not. No, we've said, listen, they don't want to be part of Argentina. They want to be part of us. Thank you very much indeed. And we will, if necessary, fight for it. And it was those words that struck a chill into my little body. And thinking to myself, do you know, I see something around the corner. I don't know why. Very rarely wrong on these things, but you kind of worry, don't you? Girls' puberty age, what is it now? Girls' age of puberty? What do you think? Ten. Ten years old. My God, I tell you. Things are moving on a pace. The stress of family breakdown could be to blame for girls starting puberty at the age of ten. The average age at which girls start growing breast tissue has fallen over the past 15 years and usually begins when they're at primary school. Because my my goddaughter, who's now 16, when she was sort of young, she was sort of... But by the age of, like, 12... Oh, she'll love me for this. But by the the age of about 12, she'd started developing. You know when you notice that they're, they're kind of not in the pram anymore... And you're not sort of pushing around and holding their hand when you cross roads and stuff like that. And they're all of a sudden, and they just go and I'm saying to her mum, where have they come from? And she said, I don't know, they just appeared one breakfast time on the table. And they, they just sort of growed out of all proportion. It's funny because you look at kids now and I think you can look at kids when they're little and you watch them growing up. And I've, I've looked at all my godchildren and I seem to have so many at the moment. Some people are trying to foist them on me. I have to, I've had to turn down two. I've turned down... People keep... In fact, I won't tell you who it is, but somebody in the building said to me, listen, you know, would you, would you be God, godfather to my son? I said, no. He said, but he really wants to be your godson. I said, I don't care. I don't care. I don't want any more godchildren. Thank you. They're only doing it so they get a bit of money out of the will. That's all they're doing it for. And they get nice presents at Christmas and stuff like that. But you watch them grow... I think you could look at them as kids and see what they're going to look like as adults. And there are some really, really unattractive children out there. I don't want to name you because you know who you are. You only have to look in the mirror and you know you're unattractive. It's not your fault. I work with unattractive people. I'm not frightened by it in any way, shape or form. I just know how they're going to turn out. You know, sometimes you can have somebody who's averagely good looking and then they get a haircut from hell. And that completely ruins, you know, the way that their face looks because you've got to have a haircut that suits your face. And I'm not the kind of person to go up behind an unattractive person in the street, tap them on the shoulder and go, oi, ugly. I don't do that. I leave that to other people. A friend of mine's got a Ventact. And, and he gets the doll to do it all. His, the doll's name is Sam. You know, because he's been at the Magic Circle with us for a couple of the shows, and uh, Paul is fabulous. And he sits there, and the doll looks at the person in the front row and goes, Hey, ugly! <laughs> and so people, people look round thinking it's not them. And there used to be a very, very funny event uh, called Terry Rogers. And she was, she was very classy, Terry Rogers, and she was absolutely gorgeous. You can see her on, on YouTube... Very, she, she isn't with us, sadly, she died of cancer a few years back. But she was very glamorous, and she would come on stage and go, good, e- good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Very much like that. And the doll would let fly with a torrent of filth and abuse, the like of which you've never heard in your entire life. They used to put her on the television, and she... Oh, she did an X-rated act, which just had you doubled up, because she was so terribly... Cl- and she'd say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and this is... Sh- and the doll would then four-letter words all over the place. It was the funniest thing ever. And then she goes, that's not very nice. And the doll would then let fly with a torrent. And, of course, you have to keep thinking, no, it's her. It's all her. She can alternate between doing this and uh, and doing the, the rude stuff as well. So, lots to talk about this morning. 
including Cheryl Cole's manifesto for marriage. The girl who can't even keep her own marriage together. I don't think we really need to bother there. But she's obviously trying to cultivate the gay vote because she says it's OK. Gay people really just want to get married and like be together just like normal people. Sadly, they don't actually show her, which shows how hopelessly out of touch you are. But never mind. We'll take a short break for the, uh, for the news headlines. It's Friday. Love Friday. It's LBC 97.3. It's Steve Allen's Early Breakfast. Time now, 4.30. News headlines with Rupert Bartier. Thanks, Steve. Labour has described proposals for a multi-billion pound... This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, 28 minutes to five. Friday morning, it's wet. It's good, isn't it? Uh, yesterday, actually, I was expecting storms in overnight, but we never got storms in overnight. Well, you might have done where we, where we were. It was just sort of a light little bit of rain came in. Nothing particularly special, but I was really particularly fed up with it. Because having just had the car valeted, and it was all nice and shiny and polished and buffed up, then it rains, and we're back when we started again. Um, so, 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 so. Uh, jailed for harassment. Uh, a girl here who became an office cougar. Uh, this girl harassed her male colleagues because she lived in a fantasy world. And uh, she used to spread lies and rumours about her male colleagues. She's a Cambridge graduate called uh, Giovanni Vikramatana. And she targeted one victim at an electronics firm where she worked, claiming to be having an affair with him. So she emailed the wife. She built up a whole fantasy. I mean, quite. I mean, as, as the judge said, she lived in a fantasy world. She actually denied everything, said, no, 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 this wasn't true. But anyway, the jury because we love juries, found her guilty on all six counts. So she's gone to, she's gone to prison now. Not for, not for very long, only about six months. She even emailed one woman and said, your husband's HIV positive. I mean, quite clearly, she's sick. But I remember, and it was, it must be the most frustrating thing ever. I spoke to somebody on jury service, and I mentioned it. And this was somebody whose, uh, whose daughter had been targeted by a stalker. And the stalker believed that he had a relationship with this girl. And it was in a company where they worked together. And, of course, there was no such relationship or ever had been. And she'd never given any indication that she was remotely interested. Anyway, so she moved jobs because it became a little bit too embarrassing. And he followed her. Then he moved in next door to her. And in the end, they had to call the police. And the police said, well, there's not really a lot we can do about it. Because they're a stalker. You almost have to take out a private prosecution. Which she did. And thankfully, he was sort of kept kept well away. So when you get this case here of this girl, uh, Giovanni, she's quite clearly not all there upstairs, is she? There must be quite a few screws missing. Because I remember watching Brookside on the television, and there was a girl there, and she was, and it, it, it became frightening. It became like a horror story. A girl who'd be telling all this guy's friends, yeah, we're going out, me and Cern, so we're going out having a lovely relationship. And of course, he knew nothing about it. So when people are saying to him, oh, all right... And he'd be going, yes. And he didn't know that she would sort of turn up and she was pretending to all his friends and saying different things behind his back that they were having a re- an affair and they were going to get married shortly. And he knew nothing about this because he just thought she worked for him in the shop. But, of course, behind his back, she was pretending that she was having it because she lived in a fantasy world. And you see it a lot in the papers. You really do. It's, and, it's, and it's terribly, terribly sad. Terribly sad. But anyway, they've decided to, to send her to prison because she was, a, she was a nasty person, this one. This uh, Giovanni. And uh, she, was, she subjected one family to wicked lies, which was so deplorable that uh, he was actually suspended from work while they investigated. You know, it, it got... Because people believed her. But unfortunately, she was a compulsive liar, so I'm glad she's gone to, uh, to prison. I mean, his, his wife was seriously ill throughout this, possibly terminally. 
And so then it just gets really, really bad. All the papers full of the BBC watchdog star. He's not a star. He's a BBC watchdog, not even a presenter. He just drives a motorbike. And he's now uh, after him. Well, they're after him now for £24,077. That was housing and council tax benefit, which he would not have been entitled to if he declared his BBC work. Uh, Portuguese-born Mr Penteado started working with Matt Allwright in 2001. In the last series, they confronted eight business owners who they felt were ripping off the public. I hope it's just been an awful mistake, as indeed we all do, do we not? Do we not? Um, they're talking today about Twitter on the paper. Now, they talk about Twitter quite a lot. And this time, they're talking about Lauren Goodyear. This is Lauren Foulmouth Goodyear, who goes onto Twitter and talks about all sorts of things. So what they did, they, they've sort of taken a typical day in the life of somebody who has a, a Twitter page, and then they looked at the responses that they got from people. So she would Twitter a picture of herself, because she's quite clearly vain, and then somebody would write in and go, oh, don't do this, you so-and-so, so, and so, so it went on. And so they've, they've just said, this is how the Twitter troll frenzy, Lauren's hell. But the trouble is, she's almost made a rod for her own back. By being foul-mouthed and being not very pleasant in the series, to the point of being suspended by the film company. She had to crawl to get back into Marbella. So why should it come as any surprise when somebody writes filth to her? They see her behaving like this on the television, they automatically assume that's the sort of person she is. I can remember Lydia Dim writing to me on numerous occasions. You know, I'm a businesswoman, I'm this and that. I said, no, we've seen what you are on the television. You are yourself. You're not acting. You're playing Lydia Dim on the television. We know, you know, you don't know my relationship with Arge. No, we know what we see on the television. If you don't want to do it, then keep out of it. If you're not strong enough and you're a bit of a dipstick, then don't go anywhere near television. And if you do go on television and you've got something to hide, brace yourself for the fallout, because the fallout is going to be immense. Once the papers get hold of something, you know, it's no good Lauren Goodyear bleating to the papers about how dreadful the internet trolls are, which quite rightly they are. I agree that they are. But there again, she's been so foul-mouthed on the television programme, both her, Sam for ears, the language these people come up with, just, it just beggars belief. Just beggars belief. But if you try and portray yourself as something you're not, Lauren, you're going to get this kind of backlash, OK? If, if you want it to stop, then try and be a nice person. Other people don't get it in the series. It's just people like you, because, you know, you are that person. You are the foul-mouthed girl who was dropped for being nasty on the programme. You know, it's, it's just gone beyond the joke now. Gone beyond the joke. So what you have to do is rein in. Try and be an adult. I know it's not easy for you, but for God's sake, try. Goodness sake. 84850, uk. Um, another one here. Says, uh, I hope to high heaven that the TV commentary for the forthcoming Olympic Games will be of a higher calibre than we had to endure during the Thames Jubilee flotilla. No Olympic Games will be complete without the cartwheeling Stuart Hall. Here come the Belgians. And as for the Bible-thumping GP, perhaps I could ask my vicar the reason why I haven't knelt in his church for the last 40 years. Yes, it's every so often you're going to get. This is the story of the GP who, with the permission of the man he was treating, started saying, if you turn to God, all will be wonderful and all will be fine. Now, we exposed people before in the paper. We did it yesterday when the papers were exposing people who promise everything. You know, send me some money and I guarantee all your worries will be sorted out. If you've got county court judgments, relationship problems, the adverts appear every day in the metro. Every single day there are people, quite clearly from certain communities 
because they appear to have certain surnames which would target a particular community, and uh, they're obviously willing to hand money over to somebody, some crackpot who's got no powers whatsoever of anything. Nobody can write your debts off. Unless, of course, like Shane Phelan, you move to Surrey and have them written off legally. In which case, you know, it'll only go for a little while. I wonder how long he's going to be living in Surrey. I wish I'd been in court the other day, actually. I wish, I wish I'd gone to Kingston Crown Court. I like to do that occasionally. Uh, when can I expect to see the Christmas selection boxes in the shops? Um, almost immediately, I think. Should be in very, very shortly, Paul. And I'm sure that uh, you'll be buying them. We've got some birthdays to celebrate later on and some, some golden wedding anniversaries. And if you're a football fan... Well, actually, if you're a football fan, you're not going to be up at this time of the morning, are you? Is there a football game going on somewhere? Probably. Andrew Jolly drove from his home in Dunstable in Bedfordshire to Eastern Europe, 6,000 miles in total. And uh, uh, he's, he's so dedicated, he's taken his clapped-out Ford Escort van miles and miles just to watch the three lions in, U- in the Ukraine. And he's passed through France, Belgium, Germany. Now, I can understand, you know, somebody being a football fan. But, I mean, how far... Why don't you just watch it on television? Why don't you just sit home like the rest of us and sort of watch it on, on television and, um, and try and... Sorry, I was, just, I was momentarily distracted by Anders, you know, the man who murdered all those school children, was sitting in court with a big smile on his face. Why somebody's not taking a gun in and blowing him to pieces? I've got no idea. It's ridiculous, honestly. What an evil person. Anyway, so, uh, so how far would you go? Mind you, I suppose, with hindsight, the people who would drive miles and miles to support football would probably drive miles and miles to support Daniel O'Donnell or to support Cliff Richards. Or to help Shane Phelan out with his bankruptcy. Perhaps give him a little money. You know, when, when you pass with the stage door, go, there's, there's a shilling for your troubles. Now that you've moved to Surrey. Probably in a rented house, I shouldn't wonder. Because it'll only last a year. And he should make four million from the, uh, from the tour. They should all make about four million. Will that go towards paying off his, uh, his, his, his bankruptcy? Oh, I do hope so. You don't think it's different, do you, for, for rich pop stars, that they, they can actually go out and uh, declare themselves bankrupt, write off £18 million worth of debts so they've still got the same standard of living? Because he can afford to relocate from Sligo to Surrey, so you're thinking to yourself, I bet he's not living in a one-up, one-down council house repossession. I bet he's living in something very nice indeed. But uh, he can get away with it for a year over here, and then he can earn £4 million. Perhaps they'll put that somewhere else, and then at the end of the year, then he can have that money. So he's got some money to live on. There's all sorts of strange things that they do, isn't there? You know, just, sometimes it just smacks of just, just nastiness. I don't know why, it just kind of annoys me a little bit. So how far would you go? Would you, would you drive that far to go and see your favourite football team? I'm not talking this morning to anybody who supports Accrington Stanley, OK? Or Grimsby Rovers or something like that. You know, we're talking to proper football teams, not pretend football teams that pop up on the television. And, and, and would you follow a pop star? Would you follow a pop star that far? I mean, th- this bloke has driven from Dunstable in Bedfordshire to Eastern Europe. And, I mean, and should England reach the final, he'd do about 6,000 miles. He must be mad. He must be absolutely stark, staring bonkers, I should imagine. I'm sure people do drive a long way. Most people fly, though, don't they? Uh, Bob says, I'm a football fan and I'm up. So are the Facebookers. I think so too at this time of the morning. Quarter to five. Are you serious? It's Friday morning. When is the time that I have to get everything off my chest before the weekend? Because I'm not here for a day. I'm back in on Sunday morning, of course, with the very best of Steve Allen. Uh, and then in conversation. And this week, Daily Thompson. He just takes the mickey out of me for 25 minutes. That's all I can tell you about Daily Thompson. So rude about my figure. So rude. I mean, honestly, I've never had to... I nearly hit him. I nearly hit him. We nearly came to fisticuffs. 
By, by complete contrast, Emily Blunt now thinks I've got a drink problem because we were discussing alcohol on the programme and I was sort of getting her into Manuka Honey. Now, she stars in this new movie... Uh, you've probably seen her in The Devil Wears Prada, you've seen her in Victoria, you've seen her in Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, you're now going to see her in Five Year Engagement. She is hot A-list property. And Emily Blunt will be with me on Sunday morning in conversation. So Daley Thompson as well. Samantha Bond, who we recorded the other day, will be next week on In Conversation. So I'll just so I let you know now, because I know many of you like to get up early on a Sunday morning, and... Um, and it's between five and seven. So you get the best of Steve Allen, then you can podcast it, and then you get Steve Allen's In Conversation. I was watching The Eggheads the other night. I do like it. It, it, it is it MI5? No, Daphne, it's not, dear. It's MI6. Oh. <laughs> Every time we do Daphne, I love it. And yesterday. And I knew somebody had told me I was a liar. <laughs> because I, I was talking yesterday about um, blind people crossing... On the uh, on the zebra crossings, and they've got the little thing, you know, the traffic lights. And uh, somebody phoned up. Oh, I can't remember. I'm so sorry. Uh, who it was yesterday? And phoned up and said that underneath, if if you're if you're blind and deaf, or deaf and maybe blind, uh, then underneath the little box where you push it, where it goes wait, there's a little thing that rotates. And when the lights go green, this thing turns round, and it's underneath the box. So me, like a complete turnip yesterday, I'm going round all the traffic lights in Twickenham, putting my hand underneath the box, and you know, there is that thing there. It's, I had no idea. It's a bit, you'll all be doing it now, I promise you. You will all be, you'll, you'll all be out there going, oh, he's so right. He's so right. Some of them are on the left-hand side, some are on the right-hand side. Sarah in Croydon says, I've just woken up, not knowing if it was 4am or 4pm. It's uh, it's 4pm, and uh, we're just about to go out on the town. Woo, woo, woo. And, uh, and actually, I'm James sitting in for James Whale today. That's a bit of a nice surprise. He's uh, he's currently sunning himself. He always goes to the uh, to the nudist resort at uh, Cap d'Age every year. And uh, a little bit embarrassing. Well, one year, we were all thinking of surprising him. <laughs> Not. And uh, he, he enjoys going there. Pictures generally up on Twitter within about 20 minutes of him arriving, I think. Uh, so it was Mel the Milky who wanted that. And Steve says he drove 6,000 miles and then remembered he'd left the cooker on. Your worst nightmare, isn't it? Quarter to five. London's biggest conversation. LBC 97.3. Imagine you're an archer in the London 2012 Olympic Games. Steve Ryder, sports presenter. As you take aim, the crowd goes silent. They're wondering how you're going to manage without your bow, as it never arrived. This is how you throw your arrow. With Steve Allen. Morning, 12, to, 12 minutes to 5 on Friday morning. Oh, goody, they've saved Ringo's house from demolition. Who cares? I really couldn't care less. A dumpy little terraced house. They say, this is the house that he was born in and we've saved it for demolition. For what purpose? For what purpose? I mean, I was born in a hospital, I think. I was, do you know, actually, to be honest with you, I can't remember now. I was there at the time, but I cannot remember what went on. I think I was a hospital. Because people say you're supposed to know where you were born and what time you were born. And I've got no idea what time. I could have been born in the middle of the afternoon. I've got no idea. Does it make any difference? I shouldn't think so. Uh, on the subject of, um, of the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, there was a, a film uh, and uh, the blood transfusion question came up. The film was called A Life for Ruth, released in 62, says Paul. And I think you've spoken about it before. It stars... Michael Craig, Patrick McGowan, Frank Finlay and Megs Jenkins and caused a great deal of argument at the time and tells of a man who, through his beliefs, 
lets his daughter die after an accident. He's then shunned by the local community, and a doctor speaks up to get what he sees as justice for the Ted girl. Uh, I don't think I've ever spoken about this film. I watched a very strange film the other day. I'll have to tell you what it is on Monday, because off the top of my head, I cannot remember. But it's a film that became a a documentary in America. And uh, it's quite a hard-hitting subject. But it, it, was, it was filmed and done very, very well indeed. Uh, I remember Terry Rogers well, says Paul. As you know, she hailed from Ipswich and began life as Ivan Southgate. Yes, Terry Rogers was a, was a, was a tranny. Very funny act and a great magician, as well as designing tricks for, among others, David Copperfield and Paul Daniels. Yes, we lost her in 99. Good Lord, was it really 99? Yes, and I see Faye Presto on a very regular basis. On a very, very regular basis. Very heavily involved with the... Ma- In fact, the last time we did a show at the Magic Circle, Faye Presto was up. We couldn't get her off. <laughs> couldn't get her off. I quite like that, actually. Um, and Anthea Turner had a very comfortable kind of bankruptcy. Yes, Anthea Turner, uh, they, they lost... Did they lose the house? I can't remember. Something happened where they had to downsize from a, a £10 million house, which they'd been living in, to a... Five million pound house. It was all it's all a little bit of a heartache for Anthea Turner, who sort of just wanders through life, I'm sure, just sprinkling pixie dust and fairy dust everywhere, and it's all wonderful and cushions and floaty floaty, but she's got about that much sex appeal as a Swede, I'm afraid. I mean that as the vegetable as opposed to anything else. Uh, there's something about her. She's a little bit too I was watching somebody on the television the other day. I, can't, I can remember who they were, but I'm not going to credit them. And uh, and I thought they, they'd actually disappeared, but they popped up again. Ooh, Kentucky Fried Chicken on the television, an advert for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yummy. Why, when they do it on the television, it looked like that? And when you actually bite, it's dripping in grease. Explain that to me, ladies and gentlemen. Why don't you just tip the bottle of Mazzola down your throat and cut out the middleman and just eat a small piece of chicken? When you see it on the television, it's all dry and looks lovely and the chips are wonderful. When you actually buy it, it's soggy and horrible. It's disgusting, but tastes wonderful. I bet you anything, Duncan can't drive home without... If there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken open on the way home, he'd be eating Kentucky every night. No hesitation whatsoever. Party barrel, get him just just, uh, just home, I should imagine. Uh, Ian says, read Pelican Crossings. An American once uh, asked me about the beeping sound. I told them it was to let blind people know it was safe to cross. They said, we don't let blind people drive in America. <laughs> Actually, there is somebody who does drive. That They've developed a car now, don't they, that's, that drives by itself. So a, a blind person could drive, although, to be honest with you, it frightens the life out of me. Bad enough where they talk about, you know, I think that the BBC have a blind cameraman. He went on a training course, and because of our PC, you, you, you can't say to somebody, you, you, you can't be a cameraman just because you're blind. That shouldn't be a restriction. Although, to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of pictures. Of, you know, you've kind of got to see what you look at anyway. So anyway, so they have this blind cameraman. It's like, I don't know, it's like becoming a, a police officer and going, I really can't wear dark blue. I'm ever so sorry. I'd, I'd love to wear any other colour, but dark blue is completely out. We had a doctor a short while ago who sued the NHS because she was needle-phobic. And they wanted her to do injections. And she went, I can't do that, I want money. So they gave her compensation. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't quite... How on earth you managed to get all the way through medical school and then pop out the other side and then... And then you sort of, it'd be like sort of a, a broadcaster going, I really can't broadcast. I've got this terrible fear of microphones. They're very, fr- look, I have to cover them up. They've got somebody in the Big Brother house. It's that silly, it's Siobhan, who apparently used to be a bunny girl. She's got to be the dimmest bunny girl you've ever seen. And she's got a fear of people dressing up in animal costumes. I mean, and so, of course, what do they do? They bring somebody on in an animal costume. And she goes, ah! Then they've got the big fat bird. Who's, who's just fake. She's fake from start to finish. You know, she's trying to make out, she's all, oh, I'm just a big, big, 
you know, heap of burning love and all that. And she's not at all. Then you've got the Luke, who used to be a woman, who still looks like a woman, just with a bloke's voice attached to it. And um, and he's on there. And then you've got... Then somebody started... Then there's another person called Luke, who's a male model, who was arguing with one of the girls in there. over. It's always over drink. It's always over drink. Why do these people argue over drink all the time? I've stopped drinking white wine. I'm now on day four of not drinking white wine. And I feel much better. I get a much better night's sleep without drinking white wine. Very good, actually. Just doing vodka and tomato juice now. It's part of my five a day. So I'm going to do vodka with kiwi fruit, vodka with vodka with cauliflower. That'd be nice. I ate vegetables again yesterday. Look at me, honestly, being all grown up and everything like that. I had a lovely organic steak and ale pie with, with gravy and vegetables. Brussels, a whole packet of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I'm so reckless. I don't care. It's a rock and roll lifestyle where I, where I live. It really is. It's absolutely fantastic. I love it. 84850, uk or 0845 Uh If you're a teacher, I'd love to... I don't think we're going to be hearing from a teacher at this time of the morning, but if you are a teacher, uh, apparently four-fifths of teachers have sacrificed a night's sleep in the last six months to get through schoolwork. Because so when I came in this morning, somebody said to me, uh, they said, so what, what do you think about teachers? And I went, well, I think they work very hard because I've got a couple of my cousins who are teachers, one who's a head, she's a headmistress, and the other who is uh, an English teacher. At least I think he's an English teacher. I might have got that wrong. But anyway, and it's, it's a case of they work long and hard. And then somebody said, but they get really long holidays. I said, they don't. They're working through a lot of their holidays to try and get the stuff ready for the next school term. So it's, and also the financial benefits are not huge for teachers. If you're a teacher, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, do you really have that much workload or can you manage to sort of cheat a little bit and sort of try and shove it onto somebody else. 0845 6060 973. Uh, many teachers at the weekend, we are told, nobody believes you, and, uh, and during school holidays, catch up with marking, lesson planning and admin. It's a poll here. They say the idea that teachers finish work at 3pm and take long holidays is a myth. Most teachers work more than 56 hours a week on average, and a lot of them sacrifice a night's sleep. Are you one of those teachers? 0845 6060 Steve, if I was rich enough, I would have gone to America to see the last gig by The Band, which was filmed by Martin Scorsese in the late 70s and had many other artists. Uh, love. See, somebody says here, to be honest with you, I think I was a bit too young when I was born to tell the time. Another great show. It is true. I don't know what time I was born. Do you know what time you were all born? Is it written down somewhere? I'd love to know if it's written down. You see, I mean, 12.30 St George's, but I don't know. What if it makes any difference whether you're born in the early hours of the morning? I suppose if you're born in the early hours of the morning, it's just an inconvenience for your parents, isn't it? Your mum's there going, I think it's now. And I was one of two. Uh, Banbury in Oxfordshire. Leslie says, I'm one of Jehovah's Witnesses. I've been listening to your show for over three years now. The issue of blood transfusion is, uh, always gets misinterpreted. Blood transfusion is a treatment, not a cure. Therefore, if it's a treatment, there are alternatives. An example is a cancer patient. Just because someone refused chemotherapy doesn't mean he or she signs a death sentence. There are medications and surgeries, other forms of treatment for that cancer. Not always there aren't. Not always. You do have to have... And sometimes you do need the blood transfusion. There are people who have regular blood transfusions. I can understand. I mean, I can understand the argument to a certain extent. But the trouble is, if it's, if it's a toss-up between somebody having a transfusion and living and not having a transfusion and dying, the living side kind of gets my vote. You know, I don't care what your faith is. It's the living bit which is kind of good. 
I like the idea of the living bit. You know, it depends what you believe, doesn't it? It depends what you believe. And to be honest with you, everybody's entitled to a belief. You can believe in coconuts, as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't care less. You know, you could worship at the shrine of the coconut and the shredded wheat. I don't care. Doesn't, I'm sure there'll be somebody somewhere who thinks they're marvellous. But, I mean, I'm not interested in that kind of thing. I'm more interested in the doctor who starts preaching to one of his patients who's a bit suicidal, so at a low ebb, and starts saying, you know, you know all these things about, you know, if, if, you, if you turn to God, it will all be all right. And, of course, you shouldn't be saying that to anybody. It doesn't matter whether you're suicidal. This this person, you know, his his his, his the balance of his mind is disturbed. He's uh, he's also depressed, and somebody's asking you to try and sort of turn to God, and you just go, yeah, you just go, yeah, yeah. Anyway, changing the subject, I've just finished reading a book about the craze. It's about uh, a family, uh, one man in particular who claims he brought down the craze. He turned uh, Queen's evidence against them, and it's a very interesting book. Because he claims in the book that he and his brother were both raped by Ronnie Cray uh, at the age of 22. They, they were 22. Ronnie Cray, as you know, was, was mentally ill and his brother as well. They, they ruled London through fear. Uh, unfortunately, Ronnie Cray was a predatory homosexual and preyed on young men. Whenever you see pictures of Ronnie Cray, you'll always find a young man standing by his side. But this book is written by somebody who's been out the country for 40 years and it's very interesting. I read it on the train going home because I'm a fast reader. So in the journey home, I read the book by in the last few pages. And uh, he came back from America to see his brothers because he missed his parents' funeral because having turned evidence against the craze, um, obviously there was, a, there was a bit of a warrant out for him. You know, somebody was looking to take him away. So he disappeared for 40 years, came back and he's written this book. How much of it is true? I don't know. You know, it's, it's a bit difficult. It all happened a long, long time ago. It's fascinating reading of what the, the craze were like in their heyday. Dead ugly. But he said both of them actually were sort of gay, if, if truth be known. They had, they had wives, but nothing really lasted very much. The wives have sold stories and written books and everything else. But the book itself is very, very interesting. I think it's called The Man Who Brought Down the Craze. And it's got big writing, so it doesn't take you long to read it. And it's got lots of pictures of what the East End used to look like. And I think his, his family as well was a crime family. His, his mum and dad used to go out tea-leafing, and they had a bookmakers and all sorts of things. But it gives you an indication of what life was like within the, uh, the Cray crime family. And uh, to be honest with you, they weren't the brightest pennies in the box, as we've said before, and has been, been well documented. So uh, there's a book you could check out a little bit later on. Don't forget, uh, we're with you until 6.30 this morning when Susan Bookbinder is here. Nick and the team with you after 7. We'll take all your texts and emails, 84850, steve at uk or 08456060973. Should a doctor be preaching Christianity to a patient, an ill patient at that? And, um, and also teachers. If you're a teacher not a cushy job is it you've really got to work quite hard some people think you know you finish at three o'clock every day you go home you put your feet up or you go to the pub it's not like that at all is it 84850 steve at or 08456060973 if you just woken up it's selby c 97.3 i'm steve allen the news at five with holly is next eve allen quite nice lots of people still writing to the queen have you ever written to the queen you know you're going to reply don't you and if you write to Buckingham Palace, you will get a reply. It's not from her, it's from a lady-in-waiting, but you do get a reply back, and it's on Buckingham Palace-headed notepaper. Because since the, the Jubilee, 130,000 people have written to her. Imagine having to wade through that lot. Dear Queen, I love you a lot. Can you send me a signed picture? <laughs> that kind of stuff. She's delighted, apparently, as the last heating bill was a fortune, so she's got some things to throw in the boiler to keep it going. 130,000 letters. People do, don't they? People do. People write to 
you know, people like Her Majesty, they probably write to the government, they probably write to the Prime Minister, they probably write to... They obviously write to Lauren Goodyear. And, um... Some of it is just uh, is just awful. And uh, some investigation into the hatred of the Twitter trolls because they do it. But unfortunately, in the case of Lauren Goodger, as I said before, the image that she portrays is a foul-mouthed fishwife. She's been called the fishwife on the programme because of her foul mouth. And unfortunately, if you're like that, you then can't complain when somebody writes something to you going, who do you think you are, fat face? You know, because <laughs> that's how it is. I mean, somebody says here, you fat kebab-legged ogre. I mean, I haven't heard the word ogre used for ages. I'm surprised I knew how to spell it, to be honest with you, because most spelling that comes from internet trolls is generally of about the five-year-old category level. And um, somebody says here, uh, she, she's posted a picture of herself in a bikini, and uh, and somebody wrote back and said it's not it's not a good picture and all the rest of it. And she said, I'm in a good place at the moment, and I know I don't look like Heather off EastEnders, but, uh, I, but if I wasn't, this would really upset me. And so what she does is she responds to the people who write, which, of course, is a fatal mistake, because that's all these internet trolls want. They want somebody to respond because they don't have any friends. So they have to they have to sort of write to somebody. So she responds to it, you know, like Lydia Dim. Lydia Dim started responding without realising that she is she's on a programme where she where she is herself. So that's why, you know, if you deliberately put yourself on a programme and Lauren Goodger, I say without without the only way as Essex would be nobody. Would be nobody, just another very average-looking person walking down a high street. But because they're on the television, they become, in inverted commas, stars. Uh, my wife teaches infants, says Leon, in by 7.30am and is rarely out by 5pm. Spent seven hours a day over the half-term writing reports and planning lessons on the evenings and the weekends as well. Charlotte in Sutton is a teacher and says here, I've been listening to you since four as I'm up and marking. Having not finished last night, I had to stop at 10.45 because I was too tired. So you must get to that point where you have to stop working, because otherwise you're going to be giving incorrect marking. So you've, you've got to be very careful. So anybody who thinks teachers have it, uh, have, it, have it easy, believe you me, they don't. Diana in Richmond says, I texted you yesterday about the crossing boxes with the rotating bits to assist deaf and blind people, and I added that every one of them at the Richmond Circus Roundabout is broken off by vandals. You know why? Because there's a place at Richmond Circus Roundabout where all the drunks go. And I think it's like a halfway house or something. I've seen them. You, you, there's a tyre place. I think there's a funeral director's. Then there's this halfway house and lots of drunks. We have people living in the middle of the roundabout for, for ages. Lots of people living down there. So council don't know what to do with drunks, I'm afraid, at the moment. And so people break it off. But they probably didn't know what it was. They probably have no idea what these things are. Well, I, like, I didn't. If I'd have been standing... You never put your hand underneath one of these boxes. The whole lot of you are going to be doing it now, going out there going, he's right, you know. Steve Allen's right. It's only because we were told about it the other day. Karen says, I was born rather unexpectedly one Sunday morning at my nan's house. Dad delivered me. Luckily, Mum knew what to do. She had uh, my sister 11 months earlier. My mum said I was born crying and haven't shut up yet. I can't ask my mum any more about things like that, but I've got no idea what time I was born. I really don't. I'm not sure it would make the slightest difference. I wonder if, if I was born in the early hours of the morning. Do you think it would then sort of come down to the fact, you know, if, if I'd been born the early... They go, that, that's why, you know, you, you're, you're quite happy doing early morning radio. I wonder if, if, if that is it. Uh, Anne lives in uh, Ireland. Hello. That's, <laughs> that's the best I can manage, I'm afraid. And says, uh, it's County Mayo. And when I lived in London, which I did for many years, I never missed your shows. And I've just found you again on Sky. I'm very happy. Your sense of humour is second to none. I love you. Sorry. I loved your quips this morning about the doctor who sued the NHS hospital and she had a phobia about giving injections. Your names for Nancy Delusion. Nothing happens on this little island here where I live. 
So a good giggle is almost certainly needed by me for one. So I'm very happy to have found you again. How lovely. What's your weather like this morning? If it's anything like ours, it's mid... The trouble is, if you're on a little island, there's nothing to laugh at, is there? Can't go around laughing at Heather or something like that, or, you know, or sort of pointing at the, <laughs> the seashore or something. You just, have to, you just have to sort of get on with it. And it's nice. I've got a lot of people in Ireland listening. A lot of people. Uh, Ian says, have you seen the arrangements for the roads during the Olympic cycle races? No. I'm going to have to rely on our travel team. And Andy McCall and, and Jay Louise and everybody else up there. Because Richmond, Kingston and Hampton Court Bridges will be closed to all traffic all day on the 28th and 29th and 1st of August. That means all buses that cross the river will be severely disrupted. There'll be no vehicle access to Richmond, Twickenham, Teddington and Kingston town centres. I've got a monthly bus pass, but I'll have to use Southwest trains and pay extra on Oyster to do what you would normally do to be an inclusive bus journey, i.e. Witten to Surbiton on a 281. I'll have to travel via Clapham. Sounds very complicated. Actually, I got on a bus yesterday, and we got as far as the Strand, and then his, then his radio started talking to him, and the next thing, we're all off the bus. And so we all get off the bus, and I'm th- oh, and then I had the presence of mind, because I saw another person do it. So we were waiting for the next bus. And I went back, I said, can I have a ticket as well? Because I paid on Oyster. And he pushes a button, he gives you a bit of ticket, and then when you get onto the next bus, you go, we've just been thrown off that one because it's broken. Otherwise, I was in- envisaging some sort of discussion with a bus driver as to why, you know, I sort of got off one 176 and climbed onto another 176. But uh, other way, I'll, I'll check all those road closures. I know that they're, uh, they're in and around there. Luckily, where I am, I can get uh, backwards and forwards from home. I will have to drive the wrong way down a one-way street. Just for a little bit. Just for a little bit. But, so, just so I can get in. But apart from that, it shouldn't make any difference. It shouldn't make any difference. I know that the last time we had this this problem, you couldn't get into Richmond. But I think on this one, are they coming? Are they coming through Richmond or doing the three one six? I can't remember what what the the route is. We'll know nearer nearer the time when I when I speak to Daily Thompson on Sunday. I'll try and remember to. No, I can't. I've just pre-recorded. What I'm talking about? How stupid am I? <laughs> but we will be talking about the Olympics because he said to me, he said, "Are you going to be one of those people who are going to diss it?" He said, "Or are you going to be very positive?" I said, "Well, I wasn't over keen." on looking at the old MacDonald had a farm routine at the beginning. And uh, Daly is an ambassador for the Olympics. He's obviously an LBC listener. We know he's an LBC listener, because when he came in, he wanted to see what Nick Ferrari looked like. And so they sort of, they let him peek in so he could have a quick look. He look he's, he's roughly the same age as me. I think I'm a little bit older. And he, of course, looks slightly better than me, because he's fit and he's an athlete. But he does take the mickey out of me. So that's this coming Sunday on LBC. Don't forget as well, if you go to the LBC website, I've got those pictures of Frank Matcham's Hippodrome, just literally over the road from us here in the Global Building in Leicester Square. And uh, it's going to be a super casino, and we've got the first pictures up online of anybody of what it looks like inside. So go to lbc.co.uk and you can have a look at the pictures. And in fact, if you go to lbc.co.uk forward slash Steve, then you'll find all the pictures we took there before, before it looks like it does now. And they've, they've moved on quite a, quite a pace. It was full of scaffolding, the whole interior. Lovely to look at. I mean, it's, it's like uncovering a treasure trove. It's like somebody says to you, by the way, we've just discovered this, this hidden theatre in London and here it is. And they present it to you and you go, blimey. It just looks wonderful. Uh, speaking of medical doctors, says Toby, being averse to the sight of blood, have you watched the brilliant TV show Doc Martin? The doctor character in said programme had the exact problem. The actor, of course, is Martin Clunes. Yes, we've got Martin Clunes on In Conversation. We, he's, he's been done, actually, a couple of times, as they say, because he's had a new, f- um, a new one out about dogs. And I think he and his wife produce 
uh, Doc Martin. I think it's their their production company. I'm I'm pretty certain it's their production company. Steve says, um, I uh, was born at an early age. It's held me back ever since. Thank you. The greatest magic trick of all time is when the David Nixon show was magically transformed into the Anita Harris magic show, says John. Um, Anita Harris, of course, uh, featured. I see Anita Harris quite a bit. You know, each time I, I seem to do a, a charity thing, I sometimes bump into Anita Harris. It's lovely. Bumped into Don Black last time we had the, the lovely Lady Ratlings. God, he's looking well. <laughs> Sickeningly well. And uh, Yvonne says, heard you talk about how good Manuka Honey is. I think you should get the latest copy of Your Cat magazine and read the article about how Honey saved Asher the cat's life. I shall certainly consider it. To be honest with you, it's, it, it seems to be... The, uh, the 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 saviour of everybody. They use it. It's in plasters. They use it for cuts. It's very it's very uh, it's antibacterial. So that's why people use it. I'm not suggesting that that you dip yourself in honey every morning. Otherwise, you'd have a lot of a lot of wasps and things following you, which isn't which frightens the life out of me. About that poor man who was standing at the bus stop a few months ago. Was it a few months ago last year? And all of a sudden, a queen bee landed on him. And of course, you know, queen bees are just looking for... Why him? I've got no idea. The next thing, 20,000 bees descend on this man. Oh, I'd have been... Oh, dear. I can't tell you how awful that... I mean, if ever there was a thing that was guaranteed to get your phobias going, that would be it. The queen bee landing on you and then 20,000 all following. Oh, no. That would be terrible. I was only ever stung once by a bee. Not a, I've never been stung by a wasp, I don't think. But a bee, yes. And it, oh, blooming hurt. God, it hurts. It really is. Uh, 84850. My mum told me, says Kev, when I was born, 4.55 in the afternoon at my parents' bedroom. So at least she had time to make dad's dinner afterwards. <laughs> How considerate am I with my timings? And as a school governor, I know what the teachers earn. And apart from the fact I don't get paid holidays, being self-employed, you and me together, my earnings are the same as theirs. And the only qualifications I have are from the School of Life. He said, I'm seeing the solicitor later. To, to sue the dairy for my newly discovered milk allergy. It's not as far-fetched as you think it is. It's really... Every time I open up the papers, there's always somebody suing for something. We mentioned earlier on the boxer, who wants to be released from prison early because he said the, uh, the food and the water in there are just not up to standard. And you think, no, dear, no, you stay in prison. That's the best way. Best for all of us, I think, if, if you stay there. Uh, Gordon Brown made up nonsense conspiracy theories about the Tories and the Murdochs. In anger at the sun, dumping him, David Cameron said yesterday. This is the Lee Levinson inquiry. It's fascinating, isn't it, this Levinson inquiry? I have to be honest, I wasn't remotely interested to start with. And now I'm sort of taking a mild interest. I'm beginning to wonder who else they can put up on the stand. And it appears to me that just about everybody is up on the stand. Except the royal family, which is only a matter of time. Quarter past five. <laughs> News headlines with Holly Ford. Banks are going to be offered cheap loans. Convinced other footballing nations must look at our dragons that we've sort of dragged up. You know, they go, and here come the wags. And you've got this peculiar bunch of people wearing clothes where they're just inappropriate. Nobody's got a coat on. Nobody's holding a bag apart from one of them. I mean, I they just look ridiculous. And then you've got a picture of Wayne, uh, of Colleen Rooney pushing a pram. You know, all these glamorous outfits. The trouble is, poor old Colleen isn't glamorous. She's only glamorous when she's doing a photo shoot. And so she's pushing the kid in the pram. And uh, and then they've got quotes from Nancy DeLolio, who just looked a bit naff, I'm afraid, when she was there, I think, for 2006. They've asked her her opinion. Why? I've got no idea. 
Why on earth do you ask a woman who has nothing to do with fashion, anything about fashion? I can't imagine. 84850steve-at-lbc.co.uk. Pelican is the correct spelling. It stands for pedestrian light-controlled. So puffin crossings should be puff-in, as it means pedestrian user-friendly intelligent. Thank you, Malcolm. It's going to worry us for the rest of the day, isn't it, I think, as we worry about now. They've got this little thing that turns underneath to let uh, deaf people know that it's safe to cross. Mind you, I'd still worry about it. I'd still worry about it. Nothing you could do about that. You just panic crossing the road, don't you? For ages and ages and ages. Um, Two birthdays we're celebrating today. Uh, Janice has got a big birthday today. But uh, you met Janice at the lights and she goes to your shows. And Tracy has a birthday tomorrow. So wish them both a lovely day from Brian and me, says Noreen and all your fans. We are driving home today, depending on, on the weather. God. Yes, I mean, well, I'm, I'm just looking out the window now. Actually, I forgot to bring you the... Let me just tell you what the weather is now, because a lot of people wake up at this time, which, of course, is late because we start at four. OK, don't want excuses. I just want the audience there. I just want to make sure that you're all there and you're all in place. You know, whether you're in your gym jams, I don't really care. Headline forecast for today. Sunny spells to start this morning. Heavy... Oh, here we go. The heavy and blustery showers developing with a chance of thunder and hail. Oh, Lord. Doesn't get better, does it? 13 degrees currently, uh, the high today, 20. So it's going to be better than yesterday. Tonight, the rain will move away in the early evening. Clear spells will develop. Further rain arriving in the west by the early hours, minimum 12. Tomorrow, mostly dry with bright intervals, although a few showers are possible. Breezy, high 19 degrees centigrade. And Sunday and Monday, unsettled with showers, some heavy but sunshine at times. And Tuesday... It's uh, more settled with sunshine. But today, heavy and blustery showers developing. Now, whether that's lunchtime or late morning, I've got no idea that uh, they will be developing. So take an umbrella with you. And don't say we didn't warn you. I still pee, people. Uh, Stephen Enfield says, I was stung by a bee last week. £20 for a jar of honey. <laughs> Anatomy of a Murder is a good film, says Mag. Worth uh, staying in for tomorrow. Jimmy Stewart, Ben Gazzara and Lee Remick. Uh, 1959. I watched this film the other day, and I wish I could remember what it was called. Um, I, I won't even hazard a guess. I'll, I'll, I'll find out, and I'll tell you on Monday morning. Because it was a very, very interesting film. Very, very interesting film. Um, Jordan says, uh, must tell you how much I enjoy your show every day. Yesterday, talking about the crossing signals. And then... It's the tactile cone, which rotates when the green man is lit. That's how blind people can tell when it's safe to cross. You see, I, I did that, and I put my hand, and none of them turned. Now, whether or not they've been broken, I don't, I don't know. But um, it is, it's very interesting, isn't it? We're all out there checking them. You watch people doing it, you know they'll have been listening to this, this programme. Because otherwise nobody would be mentioning the blooming thing. Uh, David in Potter's Bar says, just in case you missed it, a bit unlikely, I realise, the rogue traders present uh, Dan Pentiardo, who's on the front page of the Mirror this morning, and he's inside all the other papers. He forgot that he was claiming housing benefit and stuff like that whilst he was working for the BBC. In fact, in, in one period of six months, he earned, I think, £18,000 from the BBC. So it's not a lot, actually, in six months. For I mean, I don't know how much it pays for his little gig. It could be £300 a time, so in which case it's perfectly feasible. But he was also claiming housing benefits. But he, I think he sort of forgot about that. It's very easy to forget what you're claiming if the money's just coming into the bank, isn't it? Very easy. And also very easy to forget, you know, when the council writes you saying uh, you're due in court on this particular day, because they give you lots of opportunity. And he was up on ten counts. So they've uh, they've decided to pop him on the front of the papers. I mean, if only for the reason... 
that he works on on the BBC's programme exposing people who cheat the system. So that's that's why it, it would be done on the front page. So uh, we'll watch that one very carefully. Nicole Scherziger, I think she was famous, I think she was a pussycat doll, has been offered £750,000 to join the X Factor. Seven hundred. You can't believe the money that they get paid on television, can you? It is, it is quite unbelievable. Quite unbelievable. Uh, Dawn says, Did I hear you say the other day you'll be doing an in-conversation with Samantha Bond? We have. Only because she lives down the road from me. Well, we haven't done it for that reason. We've done it because she's lovely. And uh, I went with my mum to see Loose Women, and that's when she was on. I know you don't like Loose Women now. We're always having a moan about it, but I enjoy it. The panel for the show were Andrew McLean, Carol McGiffin, Denise Welsh. Oh, not Denise Welsh. My heart drops when I see Denise Welsh, because you know it's low rent. You know it's going to be me, 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 and Jane MacDonald. The other guest, Linda LaPlante. Now, she is a good guest. She's nice. And uh, thank goodness with a live show, you know, what you see is, is what you get. Neil, thank you for the programme, The Bridges That Built London. Um, I did see a little bit of it, actually, and I do know that uh, Somerset House had its own Watergate. I pointed out to people whenever I go down there, because I use that as one of my, my late-night parking spots uh, in town. David and Vid from Ty Nice say thanks to the wonders of the internet. We've now watched the first two episodes of the new Dallas, and it's jolly good. The papers are mixed. In America, they're a little bit mixed over the whole thing, but for fans of Dallas, they will probably love it. Larry Hagman, as JR, as bad as ever, and John Ross... Proving that he's his father's son. Sue Ellen looks amazing. Or Swellen. And there are some nice cameos from Lucian Ray. Patrick Duffy is trying to keep the peace as always but failing. Overall, good mix of the old and the new. And once the theme music starts, it's like it's never been away. More Machiavellian than ever before. We're hooked. And we can't wait till the next episode. There you go. So David and Vid from Ty Nice are big, big fans of Dallas, which is, uh, which is back. Please wish Janice a very happy birthday. Love from little Julie. Noreen, Michelle, Lizzie and Winnie. Everybody's celebrating birthdays today. Everybody's celebrating birthdays. Oh, and Enfield, Enfield Council wrote to me. They're opening 40 Hall again. They spent a lot of money doing it all up. And um, and it, it, it sounds wonderful. I think they've, they've got something like £6 million. And the grand reopening is on the 30th of June and the 1st of July with two days of dancing, costume tours and everything else. So for all those people who live out Enfield Way, and even those who don't live out Enfield Way, check it out on the internet. Forty Hall. It's a place, place to go to. It's, uh, it's well worth it. If they spent that much money, it should look absolutely stunning. Uh, another one here. Oh, we'll, we'll tell you what Nick Ferrari's doing a little bit uh, later on this morning. And uh, other stories in the papers. The uh, Express this morning, talking about summer likely to be a complete washout. They either do royal stories on the front of the Express, or they do a story about the weather. And because it's the weather and because storms are imminent, they've decided, because there's not really much going on with the royal family, apart from the fact that everybody loves them at the moment, and the Queen's received 130,000 letters, and everybody's just marvellous, and we're all having a wonderful time, but we're all going to drown. And so that's why they've said now, the worst rainstorms for 50 years. Over the next three days, we're going to get a battering. I always think to myself, if ever, just have a look out in the garden, if you're lucky enough to have a garden. Do you have a table and, uh, and chairs? Out there? Are they plastic? Are they the type to blow away? If so, turn them upside down on the, on the grass, make it easier. And if you've got an umbrella, my advice is just to tie it around the bit that opens up the canopy. Because sometimes if the wind gets underneath, it'll whip it up into the air and uh, it'll be the last you see of it. It'll end up crashing down into the neighbour's garden and they'll be suing you for not looking after your umbrella properly. So just a bit of string tied around it. I do mine constantly because we've got two huge umbrellas about nine foot across. 
And if the wind gets under those, we're not going to risk anything at all. Um, Shane Phelan, how he went bankrupt with debts of 18 million. Uh, he fell victim to the recession. He wanted to build houses in Ireland. And um, and so he's borrowed 18 million, which, of course, you know, all the, I love it when people just say, oh, well, that didn't work. I'll just declare myself bankrupt. But as opposed to doing it in Ireland, he's done it here. He's moved the family over to Surrey. Because if you go bankrupt in this country, it's only about a year which you need to worry about. In Ireland, it's about 12 years. So he's rebuilding his life, but not really paying his dues to the people of Ireland who are going, hello, I thought you lived here in, uh, in Sligo. No, 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 I live in Surrey now. I live in Surrey. For the purposes of, of going bankrupt, I live in Surrey, let me tell you. Eight inches of rain over the next couple of days. Eight inches of rain. You have been warned. If you're going away on holiday, I bet you're absolutely delighted. I bet you're absolutely cock-a-hoop about the fact you're leaving the country. Uh, the farmer who forced the travellers off his land said he'd do it again. What these people did, what these, these crooks did, was he had a gate which was locked with a padlock... And it was all but... What they did, they smashed the padlock, drove onto his land, and then replaced the padlock. And then when he turned up, they went, we know our rights. Well, quite clearly, he knew a little bit more than them. And so he, he, he then decided he was having none of it, and he'll do it again. The trouble is, the police come down, and the police say here, uh, police remained on scene to rent a breach of peace. They, what, about, what about the travellers moving onto his land? Wasn't that a breach of the peace? So in other words, they, they can move into your house, change the locks, and laugh and wave at you. I don't think so. I don't think so. But anyway, well done to the farmer down there. And uh, eventually the travellers left of their own accord because he was going to smash their caravans up. I wish he had done. You know, you can't go breaking into people. That's what he... That, the, the, you know, the whole idea of a chain on a gate is for the intelligent people to let them know that you can't move on to it. It's as simple as that. But you see it all too often and, it's, and it, it has to stop. It absolutely has to stop, you know. Until we have the same law that applies for everybody, we're always going to have these uh, these confrontations. Gary Barlow is top of the pops. He's been named Celebrity Dad of the Year. I've got no idea why. He's got four children. I've never seen a picture of any of them. Uh, but Peter Andre, who explo- sorry, shows his, loves his children and shows us them all the time because he's so proud of them. The wife doesn't quite think the same. Um, has, been, has been knocked off the top spot. So thank goodness for that. So it's the first time Gary's won it. Hmm, funny that, isn't it? He's got four children, he's never won it before. Oh, wait a minute, he's just organised the Jubilee concert. Far be it for me to be cynical and to suggest that the people who nominate him are looking for a bit more desperate publicity. But uh, Celebrity Dad, I don't think he is. It's LBC, it's 5.30. News headlines with Holly Ford. Thanks, Steve. Banks are being given billions of pounds in cheap loans in an attempt to kick-start growth. Bank of England. Why it is, it just is. I think it's an American thing. I think it's crept over here and I think it's an opportunity for card companies to flog you a bit of cardboard with Happy Father's Day. I don't know what it's celebrating. I don't know why every day you should celebrate your father. And to be honest with you, it's just a pile of old rubbish. It's the biggest pile of rubbish that we've ever had from America. You know, Mother's Day, Grandmother's Day, Grandfather's Day, you know... (laughs) I can't think of any other days to celebrate. We've celebrated most of the family, haven't we? My little sister's day, my little brother's day, my older brother's day, my sort of older brother who we don't talk about anymore because he changed his sex, day, all those kind of things. We don't talk about those anymore, but we've got Father's Day this Sunday. So what they're offering is they're offering dis- all the adverts in the papers are to do with Father's Day. And, and to be honest with you, I did used to buy a Father's Day card, but for the life of me, I can't remember why and what purpose it served. It's only when your parents aren't there that you kind of miss them more. So you don't need to buy them a card once a year just to remind them. You just, you know, every day should be your father's day. It's not easy. 
It's not easy, because sometimes when your father gets a little bit older, you don't really have the same kind of conversations with them. But they've got here, they've got award-winning whiskey for Father's Day, the 17th of June. Anybody can tell me why we've got Father's Day, and do you celebrate? What, 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 what do you celebrate with on Father's Day? Do you actually sort of go out there and... I don't know, actually. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Buy your dad a bottle of whiskey, and he goes, oh, that's right, turn, turn me into an alcoholic. Why don't you? Please. Joe says, uh, like you, Steve, in Westlife, Shane can't have got very good advice from an accountant or a solicitor to live in Surrey. Oh, so he must have got good advice. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. They, they've been having meetings for, uh, for a long time because they're looking at bankruptcy. They owe, I think it's about, or here's his company, 18 million to, I think it's the Bank of Ireland, who advanced them. Why they'd want to advance them the money, I've got no idea. Quite clearly, some, I mean, it's a lot of money to be advanced. When you think most of us go in there and go, it's what, a thousand? Five hundred? Two I don't mind. Anything like that. And he goes in and gets 18 million. So then, then the property market collapses because he wants to build houses. So anyway, the whole thing just all goes belly up. So they want their money back. So he then goes, well, we have to declare ourselves bankrupt. Because I don't know whether or not his company is going bankrupt which is the one that was set up for this, or whether he personally is going bankrupt. Will we notice any change of status? Will he sort of be living in a, in a tent in the garden of one of the other Westlife boys? Or will it be the fact that he can keep his houses and everything else? And if he declares himself bankrupt, nobody pays it back. Unless the four million he's about to earn would then go towards that. I don't know. I just know that he's moved from Ireland to Surrey because the case was heard in Kingston Crown Court the other day which is just, uh, I know where Kingston Crown Court is. You can go there and watch any of the cases if you want to. You can go into any court, any day of the week, and just go and sit there in the public gallery and just watch. It's terribly tedious, though. Unless you're on the jury. Unless you're on the jury. Uh, 84850. Apparently, the Danoff watchdog, believe it or not, was a pilot of small jets, as I showed him in the captain chair, taxiing in an episode once. Says uh, Abs at Gatwick. Yes, I mean, he's, he's, I just know he's Portuguese. That's all I know about him. And he works and he drives the motorcycle. And Matt Allwright is up. That's all I know. And the fact he's, he's very, very forgetful. <laughs> very, very forgetful. Can't help it. Uh, Richard, on the subject of rain, he says, Well, thank you very much indeed for the warning of heavy rainfall. I've got a wedding to photograph in Faversham. Tomorrow afternoon, I'm praying it stays dry long enough as the ceremony is meant to be taking place in an outdoor gazebo. Oh, no. Not the old outdoor gazebo. That'll be, th- this'll be a film for Beadles About, wouldn't it? You know, as they all stand under it and go, you know, da, da, and then the gazebo blows away. You could just see what's going to happen. Oh, sorry about that, Richard. Not much fun. I'm sure that my friend Chris Christodoulou, who celebrated his birthday the other day, he's probably got weddings booked in this afternoon, as, uh, t- t- tomorrow afternoon as well. And what do you do if it's absolutely tipping? There's nothing, is there, you can do if it tips down with rain. You just have to sort of grin and get on with it. It's, it's worse for the bride. Worse for the bride, who is so, so desperate to have a, a nice day. Nobody wants to arrive there looking like a drowned rat. You know, you want to arrive there looking, looking quite, uh, quite nice and glamorous, not with your makeup running down your face. That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Not nice at all. Uh, Special K. You know the cereal, ladies? They're going to use real women in their adverts. They're going to ditch their slender models in favour of in favour of plus-size real women. And they hope that people will see the benefits of it. To be honest with you, I'd, I had the other morning... I haven't had it for ages. I don't know why I had it the other morning. I had an addiction to cornflakes. I went out and bought a packet of cornflakes. And I bought a, a, a litre of milk. And I had two bowls of cornflakes yesterday morning. And I, I'm not really a cornflake kind of person. And, and I had them. And, you know, it was the best thing I'd ever had at that time of the morning. 
I felt as if I was setting up the day quite well. Because you're supposed to eat something in the morning, but it's eating something in the morning just doesn't sit with me. I haven't got the energy. I've had a loaf of bread sitting there. I, I'm not not big bread eater, but occasionally I fancy a piece of toast. But I've had this loaf of bread sitting there for a week now, and I haven't bothered to uh, to even bother putting it in the toaster. The other story that um, Duncan was talking about overnight was the Christian doctor who has claimed he was a victim of religious discrimination after being disciplined for discussing his faith with a suicidal patient. This is Richard Scott, a former medical missionary. I have no idea what a medical missionary is. I have to hold my hands up to that one. Uh, he was reprimanded, despite the 24-year-old complainant not even having to turn up to give evidence, and said he was allowed to give his version of events over the telephone and behind closed doors. Dr Scott told a disciplinary panel he offered the troubled patient spiritual guidance, but after first checking that he didn't mind. But the man's mother complained, ten days later, about the consultant at his practice in Margate. She said her son was told he would suffer and be haunted by the devil if he didn't turn towards Jesus from his faith, which has not been revealed. And yesterday, the General Medical Council ruled against the married father of three in favour of the man known as Patient A. It imposed an official warning and told the GP that any repetition could lead to tougher action, potentially resulting in being struck off. And I have to be honest, everybody decided that this was absolutely right. He should have been warned. He's not been struck off. He's been warned. He's been told, don't do it again. You are there as a doctor. You are not to discuss your faith with people. It's, it's of no consequence whatsoever. And because this one is a former medical missionary, and because the person he was talking to was, um, I think, somebody who, who was troubled, shall we say, uh, the balance of his mind was slightly disturbed. And so somebody can say, would you mind if, if I spoke to you about something else? He went, no, no, probably didn't care. Probably didn't know where he was half the time. But uh, apparently... This all started in 2010, when patient A saw Dr Scott at the medical practice, uh, which states that all its doctors are practising Christians. The GP claimed he made a gentle offer to broach the subject of faith, and the man replied, go for it. The GP said the patient quickly cut up rough and told him it was a load of old spherical objects. And last night, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Lord Carey, says, I'm extremely saddened by the ruling. Many Christians will be asking whether they any longer have the freedom to express their faith. No, they, do, they, they have every freedom. Every Christian has the right to express the freedom, but not when you're doing a separate job. If I, if I did a job where I came on air and I decided to preach and say, listen, just before we, we start the programme this morning, uh, would it be all right if we just did a small prayer? And today I'm going to be reading from um, Athenan's Verse 1, chapter 7. People writing and going, I'm sorry, we're, we're being preached at on the radio. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Nobody's got any objection to somebody being Christian or Muslim or whatever. You know, as I say, you can worship a Weetabix as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't, I couldn't care less. What, what you have to be very careful you don't do is you mustn't inflict it on somebody else. So if you're a doctor, you're there to cure a patient. You're not there to discuss. I mean, I couldn't care less whether they put the sign up outside this, this particular practice saying all our doctors have got one leg. I'm not, I'm not remotely interested. But it seems odd saying all our doctors are Christian. I mean, d does that make it different? Because my doctor might be Christian. I don't know. I don't ask that kind of thing. That's not the kind of relationship I want with my doctor. I want to be ill. Well, I don't want to be ill. But, <laughs> you know, we all get ill. You go to the doctor and you want to be treated. 
you want somebody to say, right, oh, I know what that is, Stephen, that'll be so-and-so, here are some tablets, and that will hopefully sort it out. And I then go to my chemist, to Goods, and Mr Shah and all the lovely people in there dispense my care. I don't discuss religion with them when I go in there. We don't discuss it. We might discuss the weather. Occasionally we've had a, a look outside, and I've gone... Because we're like that in Twickenham. It's terrible, you know. Then we look at the flower display at, at Sandy's, and we go, oh, we're looking quite good, actually. Quite good flower displays outside the fish shop. But you don't discuss religion, and that's why. It's certainly not anti-Christian. It's, it's, it's just saying you're paid to do a job. You must do your job, you know... It's private. You know, what, what, what religion you are has got nothing to do with your treatment, as far as I know. The GMC chief executive, Niall Dixon, said, It's not about religion. It's about respecting patients and making sure doctors do not use the incredible privileged position they have to push their own beliefs. Other Christian medical staff have also lost cases over their faith, including a nurse in a row over wearing her crucifix on duty and a doctor stopped from advising on adoption as she refused to endorse gay couples. You know, we see this all the time. It's nothing new. People have their beliefs, but it shouldn't cross over into your work life. So, as a doctor, he should just treat. The fact that this patient was suicidal meant that the balance of his mind is not as say it should be. So when somebody says to him, you know, would you mind if I sort of tell you about this? You know, sit down. And you go, yeah, go for it. Go for it. And then the moment the doctor starts talking about it, the patient then goes, oh, stop it. This is a load of old... Spherical objects. And that's why it turned out the way it did, and that's when the, the patient's mother complained about it. So it's, it's not anti-Christian. It's called, Dr Scott, you crossed the line. There's a very firm line there, in the same way that there's a young girl in the paper today, as you know, who had the hair extensions, and the school took her down, well, to, one of the teachers took her down to the science lab, and they burnt them out. Because the ruling in the school is no hair extensions. What they should have done in that case, as I said before, is actually send the... Uh, Send the girl home and say, listen, you can come back to school when you've taken the hair extensions out. OK, that's the rule in the school. We're not doing two rules, one for you and one for somebody else. We're all doing, we're all doing the same thing. We're all doing the same thing. 84850, uk. More on Peaches. What does Peaches Girl do for a living? Does she do anything at all? Or is she just vacuous, just wander around, have, have, have children and sell the pictures of it? She's only 23, but uh, not the... Not to, oh, TV, sorry, TV presenter, probably businesswoman as well. They're all businesswomen now. Everybody's a businesswoman. I wish I was a businesswoman. I might try later on today. I think I might, I might become a designer or something. I don't know. I shall, I shall design an umbrella, ladies and gentlemen. Later on today, I shall design a pair of shoes or a pair of waterproof shoes. How about boots with fur on them? We'd call them ugly. That's, who'll buy that? Nobody will buy something called ugly, would they? Ooh, I don't know. I bet they would. Let's try that one. I might go and sing a song. I might record an album like Cheryl Cole. I can do anything today, because it's Friday. And Friday, I love... If you want to beat the Olympic rush hour, apparently try rock climbing. <laughs> right. I don't think so. Nothing on earth would get me to cling from a piece of rock. With I've seen people doing it on vertical faces, and frankly, I'm feeling quite queasy even talking about it. I'm one of those sort of people. I'm not very good at heights. And I've seen them, and they're, sort of, they're suspended from a piece of rope on a vertical face of a cliff, and then they hammer in a little thing, and then they clip their... Oh, no chance. No chance. I would have to be suspended on a wire that would that would hopefully hold, you know, Nelly the Elephant plus seven and be suspended from a helicopter because that's the only way I'm going to be climbing anywhere up a cliff. It's like people who climb to the top of Mount Everest. Take a plane. Take a plane. Don't climb up it. People fall in crevasses. Take the plane. Get it to drop you at the top. Go hurrah. And then get to take you off again. None of this climbing malarkey. It's not worth it. Quarter to six. <laughs> News headlines with Holly Ford. 
banks are going to be offered cheap loans with the hope it'll make them grant more loans and mortgages. Bank of England say the scheme's necessary to ward off a new phase of the credit crunch. A second man has died from an outbreak of legion. Steve Allen. Dirty, dirty. Throwing stuff out car windows. Apparently a recent survey says that how many cigarette butts are thrown out of car windows? I'll, I'll, I'll hold my hand up. I will tell you that when I smoked... I was guilty. Where else you put them? You don't, don't want to dirty the ashtray in the car, do you? I couldn't bear to get in a car if the ashtray was full of cigarettes. So I, don't, I have a clean ashtray in all my cars, because I throw it out the car window. I don't know why I throw cigarette ends out the car window, or did. But I can tell you, I've added to the fact that the 29 million of them, 29 million cigarette butts, are thrown from cars each year. I find that absolutely unbelievable. But don't they just, you know, cars go over them and they just disperse, don't they? So that it, it, it's not like throwing out a piece of, you know, polystyrene packaging. I mean, I've, I have thrown stuff out of car windows. I have looked in my mirror. I'm being honest, like the rest of us. And I've seen, is there a car behind me? I won't throw it out the car window. Wait a minute, I'm just going around a corner. Oh, there's no car behind me. Quick, throw it out the car window. And I've been known to do things like that. Not, not recently. Not recently. Don't want you to think I'm one of those sort of vandals who goes around sort of desecrating the countryside. No, no, no. But cigarette ends, I thought, were OK. Because when you actually throw them out the window, the next car behind you drives over it and it disperses the filter and the tobacco and then it just gets blown to the winds. You know, it's not exactly like we're sort of driving uphill, is it? To get over this mountain of rubbish. But apparently people throw tissues out of car windows. Now, I could understand somebody opening a packet of cigarettes and throwing out the plastic bit out of the window. That, that's a, I've seen people doing that just walking down the street. But they are sort of a bit Neanderthal. They are people not, not particularly blessed with brains, or if they are, they're in their bottom. And, and people throw that out. But I've never seen people throwing tissues out of car windows. But apparently they do do it. People chuck everything out of car windows. So um, I would never do anything like that. Would never do anything. Apparently, food wrappers, drinks, bottles and cans. 6.2 million drinks bottles are chucked out of car windows. Every Well, I've never seen anything like that. They haven't mentioned here pets. Now, the only reason I say pets is they do. People throw their pets out of, out of, car, out of car windows. I've seen people being chased by the police. And they hold their dog out the car window to make the car behind, the police car, slow down. And then, you know, because they don't have it, they, they, they are those sort of people. They just drop the dog or the cat, or whatever it is, knowing that the police are going to stop and do something about it. So that's, that's what I've seen people do that. But there's no mention here of that. They, the, all they've talked about are crisp packets, fag ends, food, including fa- mainly fast food. As far as I'm concerned, I think, you should, I think there should be something built in to it so it just sort of breaks down. And quite clearly, when years ago we used to have a Keep Britain Tidy campaign, now nobody cares. You see people walking down the street. The worst thing you see in, in Leicester Square... Is and well, in fact anywhere. I'm not just picking on Leicester Square. Any square, chewing gum, Pfft. chewing gum, absolutely disgusting. Chewing gum everywhere. Every time you look on the pavement, I didn't know what it was to start with, and I and then I looked. I went, oh, it's chewing gum. Why can't people put it into a rubbish bin? Is it? it are we that? Are we that dirty now? Are we that sad that we have to? You know, get. And spit it out on the ground and then put another piece in. When there's bins all over the place, we can just drop it. Mind you, it's not very pleasant in bins. Why don't we just ban chewing gum? We must get through loads of chewing gum every year. And we do it, don't we, sir, just in case somebody wants a snog or something like that. You want to make sure that, you know, the inside of your mouth is actually quite free. Some people throw out pizza slices and fried chicken. I can understand throwing out fried chicken. 
You know, because at the moment you've eaten it, you think, well, what do I do with this bit? It's like if you're eating strawberries at home, you don't eat all the strawberry, do you? Although the sooner they make that green bit edible, the, the better I'll be and the happier I will be. But they don't, they don't do that. So if I was eating strawberries in the car, not that I would eat strawberries in the car, but if I did eat strawberries, I would throw the, the green bit out the window. I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep it. I'd throw it out the window. So that probably makes me as bad as somebody who is throwing a cigarette butt out. I'm amazed that people throw tissues. At t- so they blow their nose and then throw the tissue out the window. What sort of person does that? I've often wondered. I worry about cars that drive past me with a box of tissues on the back window. Is that specifically so people can blow their nose and then throw it out the car window? I can understand it on funeral cars. Because you sit there and you, you can't stop it and you're crying and all the rest of it. So they give you a box of tissues at the back, which is quite attractive. I used to worry. I used to keep, years ago, a box of tissues in the bathroom. I don't bother now. People should have a box of tissues and, and the top one. They should do different coloured tissues. And that, that used to look quite nice. But the idea of throwing them out of car windows, I'm slightly perturbed at. I didn't realise that, we, that we'd got so bad now. So now 29 million cigarette ends are thrown out. And they're generally lit... They're generally burning. You don't throw them out, you know, when they're, when they're put out. You throw them out because you've had enough of them. Food, 17.4 million items, including pizza and chicken and pizza slices and burgers. Because you get, oh, it's rubbish. You throw it out the window. Because you know what you think? Oh, I'm doing my bit for wildlife. I'm feeding wildlife. That's what people do it for. They go, listen, no, nobody's going to come along and eat it apart from birds or crows or something like that. Crows will eat any old rubbish. They don't. They're not fussy. They see something on the foot. They can home in on it from about a mile away. They find it. They've just got to dive down between the traffic, pick it up and take it away. It's good. But unfortunately, not many crows are smoking these days. They've all had to cut down. There's been a bit of a ban in the in the crow community. And so, you know, and also it's very difficult to actually perch and and get the cigarette up to your mouth at the same time whilst holding it, you know. And so a lot, a lot of crows are chain smokers. They just leave the cigarette between their beak. They kind of pick. I'm sure if you threw it down and you trod on it, a bird would come down and try and eat it. They eat anything. Pigeons eat anything. Uh, the other thing that people uh, throw out, or the, or, the, or the reason people throw stuff out, is they say they can't be bothered to stop. They ca- so we, we used to, when we travelled in the car years ago, you're probably the same yourself when you go out with the family, you, you actually get there and you've got a little bag in the car and your mum goes, have you eaten that stuff? Give us the bits. And she would put it all in the bag and then tie the top up and then when you stopped you know, for where you were going, or, you know, you pulled into a motorway service station, God help you, you know, you pull in there, and then you drop it in the bin. It seems quite normal. People just... The worst thing I ever did... God, I shouldn't really be telling you this, but the worst thing I ever did... I went to pick up a friend, and I had a cup of coffee, and and I'd finished the coffee. And when I got the other end to pick up the friend, uh, I opened the door, and I opened my door, and I put the cup of coffee underneath the car. Have you ever done that before? I feel really guilty telling you that now, because it now makes me a dreadful criminal. And, and when I drove off, the car wheel went over it. And there was, no, there was no coffee in there. It was just a little bit, but it was the fact that I put the coffee cup up. I don't know why I did it. I've done it a couple of times, actually. I should tell a lie, I've done it more than a couple of times. I don't know why. Why have we got this inability to walk to a bin? I'm now better. I'm now better. I'm learning. I'm learning how, how to put food in bins. Whoopee! I've learnt to buy bin liners. I've learnt to lie, you know, buy big black sacks and, and the amount of rubbish that we experience every day. But I've never sat in the car and thrown bits of... Ch- oh, I'll tell her, I think I've thrown bits of chicken out, I think, in my time. Not recently. Not obviously for some time. But I have definitely got round to, uh, to doing things like that. God, I'm as bad as everybody else. I'm a statistic. I haven't been a statistic for ages. I'm a statistic. I throw things out of car windows, but never drink... Why would you throw a drink can? I'd be worried a drink can 
would be something that would bounce off the road and maybe hit a car and could cause an accident. It's like whenever I go under motorway bridges, I'm quite panic-stricken now. I see people standing on a motorway bridge, I'm watching them very carefully as I'm driving along, because I, I, I don't like that kind of thing. Uh, BB says, who counts all the, uh, all the, the butts? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think they, they work out that... I don't know how they work that out. How do they know 29 million? What do they do? They go around and watch cars and go, one... Uh, did you see one? One. OK, we've got one. You've got to get to 29 million. <laughs> Stephen Arlington says, uh, rock faces are one thing, but what about that bloke that climbs tall buildings with no safety equipment? And, do you know, to be honest, I, 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 it makes me feel ill. Makes me really, really feel ill. Um... I don't know what the problem is with doctors preaching their faith. Most of them think they're God anyway. Well, let's face it, if they get you better, as far as I'm concerned, they are God. They are God. It's as simple as that. Uh, For a Father's Day present, you could buy your dad a DVD of the Dam Busters, to which he may respond by saying, look, I'm not that old. I'm up to at least three weddings and a funeral, says Mark in Putney. Yes, I mean, you don't have to buy your dad something for Father's Day. It's not... Don't buy him aftershave. He doesn't want an aftershave. Alan in Clayhall says, I've, I've just travelled all the way from Birmingham as a passenger. Clear blue skies, rain, just the surface water. Now Enfield to have a... Have a actually, I think um, some friends of mine have got a, a do on in Enfield this coming weekend because it's Jan and Peter's golden wedding anniversary party. And... Um, Hopefully, Corinne and Tony will be there. Corinne's not been very well, so fingers crossed. And uh, have to wait and see, Jan and Peter. We'll have to wait and see. But I'm sure we'll have a, a lovely, lovely time. A lovely time. She said, um, it would be nice if you, if you popped in, because you've been part of our life for 20 years. God, it's not 20 years, is it? Oh, dear. Uh, my new car doesn't have an ashtray. I wouldn't let anybody smoke in it anyway, due to what it does to the ceiling. My old car was like Bill Maynard's one in the gaffer, a full ashtray when I did smoke. I do miss the uh, the odd time, but not the cost. I was stationary in traffic the other week, and not only did an oncoming vehicle lob a plastic bottle out, but it had the lid on, and it was half full of, well, what can only be described as not nice things. Somebody obviously got caught short in a car. Uh, where I live, the council removed 90% of litter bins. I know, we actually have council workers. Well, I say we have council workers. We have people who push a broom around the streets. They're not exactly, you know, the most inspired. In fact, I went down to Richmond the other day, and at half past 11 in the morning, half past 10, they, they were sitting on the park bench with, with fags on. You know, nice to know they're sort of, they're pulling their weight down in Richmond. I'm sure it's all from the, uh, from the same people. 84850stevedlbc.co.uk And um, I once left a medical practice because the GP refused to refer me for sterilisation... Yeah, well, you can do that. It's not easy to move dental pra- to move um, doctors' practices. It's like moving banks. It's quite a difficult thing to do. I know that. Uh, Patricia says all honey's antibacterial. Oh no, it's not. Oh no, it's not. Not as good as manuka honey. Manuka honey is accepted as being the antibacterial honey of all honeys. All the other stuff is just honey. It's just made by average bees. You know, just common bees. Probably Liverpool bees. I shouldn't wonder. And, uh, and says, yes. <laughs> so that's what it is. I can't understand the texter from Ireland who wrote that she liked your sense of humour. I don't detect any sense of humour. Well, you're from Liverpool, aren't you, Patricia? I mean, you know, you are devoid of humour out there. What have you got? Jimmy Tarbuck. Oh, my God. And a few other people. Dear me. I mean, you... Well, I mean, we don't detect anything from you apart from the news next. On FM, online with Steve Allen... They leave that bit in the programme. That'll be nice. 
Sorry, we're just just editing the Daily Thompson programme. <laughs> My God, it needs editing, let me tell you. Uh, we were talking earlier on about Shane Phelan from Westlife, who's declared himself bankrupt, but he's done it in Surrey, because there's, there's better rates over here, even though the money was borrowed from an Irish bank. Uh, and it was to do with building projects in Ireland. He's declared himself bankrupt here because here it only lasts a year. In Ireland it could be 12 years. And uh, he's going to be handled by Louis Walsh. Managed, sorry, managed by Louis Walsh, who's currently doing the X Factor in America, I think. It's all very confusing. People are jetting backwards and forwards all over the place. And uh, Louis Walsh has said, don't worry, Shane's going to be a big, big star. And I don't think he is. And I mean that in, you know, in a very caring kind of way. Because as, as a group, very, very successful, Westlife. Very, very successful. And that's what we want. We want the group. So the group split up. OK, they've decided we're going to call it a day. And then they'll all go and do solo projects. So I think Nikki is going off to do the dancing programme. And and they'll, they'll probably all do something. But I just don't think Shane's going to have a big solo career. I just don't see it. Although, strangely enough, John wrote to me and says, I can think of one solo singer, similar in age to yourself, late 30s, still a very long career ahead of him. This one is uh, Spanish, Enrique Iglesias. I've been looking at some of the video clips, and, uh, and he's, he's quite sexy. In Italy, Eros Ramazzotti, who started in the 1980s, still well-known. Yes, I mean, the, the, the Italians and the French tend to hang on to their pop stars for ages and ages. And, I mean, really, ages. They just go forever. Nobody ever gets old in France. So you can have a 90-year-old pop star, you know, who's been around for donkey's years. And the same in Italy. Eros Ramazzotti has been around since I was playing music on the radio over in, in Austria all those years ago. And we used to play uh, Eros Ramazzotti's records and all sorts of things. There were lots of sort of favourite singers, but they've been around for donkey's years. Donkey's years. Uh, strangely enough, John says, with regard to your remark about knowing the time of one's birth, as far as I know, it's only put on the birth certificate if there are multiple births, so it's possible to identify the oldest child. So if you were one of a twin, it would be on there. But of course, if you're just a, a single person like that, you know, like, like, like me, then it wouldn't be on there. So thank you very much indeed for, for that one. Uh, yesterday, uh, you and I would do OK if we had godparents' days says Malcolm. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would get loads. I mean, I get, when it's my birthday, I get, I get cards from my godchildren, which is quite nice, and they all write messages like, you know, you are the best-looking person in the entire wide world. You know, we love you, Uncle Steve. P.S. Pl- pl- please send £20. And uh, is it possible you can buy me this for Christmas? You know, that, that sort of thing, which I don't mind. Yesterday we had trouble getting bar mitzvah cards. I'm delighted to report that I've been inundated with companies who make bar mitzvah cards. Because I knew. I knew you were out there. Mark the bailiff. <laughs> the, the the latest joke doing the rounds, Harry Redknapp will reportedly be paid £3 million in compensation by Tottenham, uh, which, after tax, will equate to approximately £3 million. It's, I mean, already, you know, this poor man only has to move out of a job and the jokes start. I have to be honest, I thought that was quite funny. The first time I heard it, I did think even Harry Redknapp would have a smile over that one. He would have a... But I think they, they'd reached stalemate, hadn't they, in the, in the negotiations, and they decided that it wasn't going to go any further. He won't, he won't be at the business very long. So, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about things like that. He seems OK, doesn't he? Seems all right. Uh, Nancy of Battersea. Happy birthday to you today. And uh, it says we're having a small soiree. Also, uh, so a bit, a bit like Abigail's party at her. So digging out my best drip-dry terrelene trousers. So if there are any reports, says David, of lightning in the Streatham area, to, please ignore as it will be the static. He says, happy Friday, Steve. I love Chesa who can't sing Alan. Do you know, Friday is just one of my favourite days. Friday is just one of my, just my most favourite. I like Monday too, 
because I've, I've generally stored so much stuff up over the weekend that, uh, that I, I, can't, uh, I can't wait to get back to work again, I'm afraid. Patrick says, shame on you, Steve. Shame. Boo. Boo you. Keep Britain tidy. If I approach a tin can and there's a bin nearby, I pick it up and place it in the bin. We have new bins where I live and the youth just can't be bothered to use them. It's everybody's responsibility to keep the streets tidy. You see, the reason I wouldn't pick a tin up is because you don't know who's touched it beforehand. It's like I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch a tin. If I saw a tin on, on the road, I wouldn't pick it up. I might kick it with my foot in, into touch, but I'd never touch it. Who knows? Somebody might have all sorts of illnesses that they've been drinking. Oh, no. It's bad enough people who actually pick up um, a can and flick the thing off and then tip it into their mouth. Because they've been in warehouses and rats have urinated all over the top of the tins. Oh, it's dreadful. Never, ever, ever, ever. You shouldn't. I know thousands of people do. Go and buy a tin off some of these market people. You know, the people pushing the barriers around. And then just open it and start swigging it. Oh, disgusting. Never do stuff like that. But that, that was the reason that I wouldn't touch anything. It's because I'm a little bit paranoid. A little bit paranoid about other people's hygiene. Sounds odd, doesn't it? But, I mean, I, I would never eat in a place where they make sandwiches without wearing gloves. It drives me mad. It absolutely drives me mad. If, if ever you go to the fun fair and the person is holding the bun with their hand and cutting it with a knife and then putting the food in with the tongs and then sort of putting the, and then putting the cheese on top with their bare hands, I don't want it. I want people to be wearing gloves because they never wash their hands. These people, it's just it's it's appalling. I've now got I'm, I'm almost paranoid. I'm almost paranoid. It's like people washing their hands after using after using the loo. That drives me mad. Men don't bother washing their hands. They really don't. They really don't. Street cleaners in Richmond having a break in the park, says Tony. They're entitled to break. They're out there at 6.30 in the morning. Not round our way, they're blooming not. In all weathers, cleaning up all the... Ru- they get well paid for it. They get well paid, Tony, as you know. They get serious money. I tell you, most of them are sending it back home. Not even staying here. He says hundreds of, uh, of butts are discarded by all office workers who puff away outside the buildings opposite the station and just throw them on the floor. Well, the trouble... Well, because there's no ashtrays, are there? The council don't, don't bother providing ashtrays at all. If they did, mind you, people wouldn't bother using them either, would they? Because when it rains, the water goes in there and then dripping down the walls is all this sort of orange-coloured stuff. It's all come out of the cigarettes. I've been very ill over the, uh, the past few years, says Catherine. And during this time, several Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses have tried to convert and save me, stating it's my lack of religion which has caused my condition and continued illness. This is not very helpful whilst trying to come to terms with a new way of life, so I may start to worship a Weetabix. Well, I did, I did suggest this earlier on. I did say, you know, I don't have any objection if somebody decides they want to worship a shredded wheat. You know, I couldn't, I'm not really bothered about people's religion. Everybody's got a religion. Everybody believes in something. There will be some moment in your life where you'll pray to anybody to get you out of a situation. Something will happen, and you'll think, oh, no. I mean, at the moment, I should imagine it's the BBC rogue trader. This is Dan Pentiardo, who is praying like Billio to the Almighty or somebody, you know, Saint Cecilia, to come and save him from the fact that he forgot that he was working on rogue traders whilst he was claiming benefit. It's easy to do. It's easy. If the money is paid into your bank account, how are you supposed to check... I mean, look, come on, most of us. I mean, look, if I turn my pockets out now, £24,000 will be falling on the table. That's what happens. It's not easy. I mean, to be fair, you know, if it's sort of council tax and stuff like that, it just, it just, it would have gone straight in, in instalments. I mean, 24000 we can all lose that much. Come on, don't be so mean. 
And it's over a number of years. Not that many years, it's not, but it's over a few years. I mean, it's not like 24,000 just popped in there, but it kind of built up. And sometimes you put, you know, a thousand pounds goes in and then you spend it. And it goes and then, then another thousand pops in. And you spend that. And then another thousand pops in. And so for 24 times, £24,000. But it's easily done, let me tell you. Very easily done. LBC 97. Morning, Nick Ferrari. After the news at seven this morning. Looking at the papers, Roger Alton, the former editor of The Observer. Currently editor of The Independent. will be uh, wandering through them. Plus they'll be uh, looking back as well at uh, Leveson and how, uh, how Cameron got on. We'll have the, uh, the weather update Things are now saying it's going to be serious flooding and we're going to have 50, 50 years' worth of rain or something in three days. or something. Whatever it is, it's just ridiculous. And this is supposed to be summer. Looking ahead to the uh, Greek elections and, uh, and also the sewage updates. It's a lot, lot to do with water with Nick Ferrara this morning. So we'll be looking at the sewage updates as well. All of that and more with Nick and the team just after the news at 7 o'clock. Plus, looking forward to it, is it England-Sweden tonight? Sweden, Sw- sorry, England, England. I'm having a dreadful trouble over that one. Will I be? The amount of people say to me, "Will you be watching the game?" Do I look like the sort of person who's ever going to be watching a football game? I mean, there's just no. Ju- My brother used to sit. He used to support Southampton, poor soul, and uh, he used to sit in front of the television if there was a game on in his in his pajamas and dressing gown with a Southampton scarf round his neck and a rattle, if you please, a rattle. Never seen anything like it in my entire life. So, uh, not for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> not for me. Not for me. We managed to find some teachers this morning, which is, uh, which, is, which is good. And we've managed to dispel the myth. Teachers do work very, very hard. They don't finish at three. You know, it's not just wander in there, stand in front of a board, write some things, and then go, right, get on with it. Read aloud to yourselves. It doesn't work like that. Jenny and Clapham says, uh, public toilets, I always carry a little bottle of antiseptic gel and never touch a door handle on the way out. Because that's the problem, isn't it? That you, you, you watch... <laughs> some people don't bother. And to be honest with you, in, the, in all the years that I've been, you know, touching door handles that everybody else touches, because in the studio, the same. We've got a big door handle here. Perhaps we should have automatic doors so that the door opens and we don't need to worry about it. But if, if you come out the loo, you think some people don't wash their hands so they'll have germs. And you think... Oh, it's not worth worrying about. You could probably lick the door handle and it wouldn't make any difference. I'm not advising you to lick door handles. But um, it's, 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 you know, washing hands should be just seen as a normal thing. But we don't do it, do we? I don't know why we don't do it. Why don't we do that? Why don't we wash our hands when we finish in the loo? <laughs> what amuses me? And I watch some people, some people are very good, they actually take a bit of sort of tissue and they open the door with, with the piece of tissue. I've never quite gone that far, but I've thought about it. I thought perhaps I should put some rubber gloves on or something. or these Because you can buy them very, very cheaply. Lakeland, the, the, the Lakeland shops sell these big boxes of 150 pairs of, of rubber gloves. Little thin things, which you could use if you're making sandwiches or, or anything else. And perhaps we should use those for opening doors. I've seen people trying to open doors with their elbows. Have you seen that before? Because they don't want to touch the door handle. You think, you're not going to die. You're really... Um, Steve, assistants in our local Sainsbury's don't wear gloves to prepare fresh pizza. I have complained, but they continue. You say, a pizza, it doesn't matter. And the reason it doesn't matter with pizza is because you're cooking it. That's the reason it doesn't matter. It's like butcher shops. They handle meat, but they don't wear gloves. Because you're going to be, unless you're eating raw meat. In which case, I'm obviously talking to the wrong audience this morning. But normally speaking, you're cooking it, so that's okay. And And with pizza... You have to put the things on, don't you? You have to put olives on and everything else. And then it's sort of boxed up and then you actually cook it. So any, any bacteria would have been killed off by, by the heat from the oven. 
So there you go. Maybe Dan, Steve, this is Dan from Rogue Traders, could move to the BBC show Saints and Scroungers. That'd be a good idea, but let's recommend to Dominic Littlewood. Why don't you have a word with Dan? Oh, it's all going to be a terrible mistake, isn't it? He said it's a bit of a misunderstanding. A hell of a lot of money for a misunderstanding, isn't it? £24,000. Uh, Ron, and uh, he was in Witten, behind a car on the 316 yesterday. He stopped at the traffic lights, and the car in front threw out half a McDonald's and just drove on. Just threw out half a McDonald's. If you saw the kid inside, I wasn't about to say anything. I wasn't that brave. <laughs> I like the idea. I like the idea. Here on the sofa in stitches, says Danny. Can't sleep because you're on. Great show. <laughs> Why would you be in the stitches? <laughs> oh, dear. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Um, <laughs> there's so many Harry Redknapp jokes coming out now. We just can't use them. I mean, some of them, they're very funny. Um... Steve, I think placing bins on traffic islands close to junctions would help. Drivers could lean out and dispense their rubbish, says Alan. It's a good idea. Good idea. I mean, I don't, uh, don't really think it's going to work because we, we, ha- we do have uh, bins all over the place and still people don't use them. Still people have an inability. Uh, why do you make me hungry, says Julie. Every time you mention food, I'm not going to have a bowl of Frosties. Oh, I used to love Frosties. I've not had Frosties for years. I can't eat Frosties now. Because they've got sugar on, so I have to have cornflakes without sugar. Which, is, which isn't half as dull as you think it is. I know many people go, I don't know how you can actually eat anything without sugar on. Because I watched somebody the other day. Who was it? Oh, it might have been Gary downstairs on the, uh, on the front desk. And he was, he was putting sugar in his tea. Or was it coffee? It was one of the two, actually. And I think he put two in. And, then, and we were talking about people who put sugar in. Because two seems to be the average. My father, I think, used to use four. It would have been easier to empty his coffee into the sugar bowl. Sort of cut out the middleman, I suppose. I like the idea of this people flying into Britain for the 2012 Games, spotting our champion heptathlete, Jessica Ennis from the air, declaring, welcome to our turf. It's huge. It's 53 metres by 75 metres. And it's been painted on at Thornbury Playing Fields, about three miles from Heathrow. You watch, there'll be some wag somewhere will be painting something else on the ground a little bit further out. You can just, just tell. But we do talk to Daley Thompson this weekend for In Conversation. So Sunday morning, make a note for your diary. Between five and six, it's the best of Steve Allen, which is the best of this programme during the week, which is available on podcast. And uh, then after that, it's In Conversation. And so it's Emily Blunt, the actress from The Devil Wears Prada. She's got a new film out at the moment called Five Year Engagement. We had a really good chat, but at the end of it... <laughs> Spent a lot of time talking about alcohol. I was recommending drinks. She was recommending drinks. And she knows loads of A-list people. She like loads. She knows loads of A-list people. She knows Tom Cruise. But then Simon Pegg, who we spoke to a couple of weeks ago, he knows Tom Cruise as well. And she knows Simon Pegg. So we've all got something in common. I don't know Tom Cruise. But I do know Simon Pegg. And I do know Emily Blunt. And I do know Daley Thompson. So they're going to be with me on Sunday morning between 6 and 7 on LBC 97.3. And if you can't manage to listen live, then definitely uh, you have to podcast the programme. Kenan Ealing says, I recall when Lionel Blair was bankrupt. Lionel Bart, sorry, not Lionel Blair. I do beg your pardon, Lionel. Lionel Bart was bankrupt, but not all that bankrupt. Although he moved into a small flat in Acton, he still drove round in his metallic blue Rolls Royce. Yes, well, they did the same for a lot of other people. I said before that um, uh, Diana Dawes... When she was declared bankrupt, the bank manager allowed her to keep the Rolls-Royce and the house because that was the image. There's no point in taking things away from people because they've got to earn a living. 
And I know that sometimes it's, it's bad business and people don't know. 18 million does seem quite a lot, though, doesn't it? Seems quite a lot to me. Um, a lot of people cannot tell what wine they're drinking. And this is proven in a piece in the Daily Mail today. Thousands of wine connoisseurs have unwittingly been drinking vintage Burgundy topped up with cheap table wine under a scam operated by one of France's most prestigious traders. Laboureux Roy, which was founded in 1832, is accused of doctoring a million bottles of Nuit Saint-Georges, sourced from a 100 producers in the area, and selling it across the world. It's also alleged that labels were changed on a further half a million bottles if stocks of a particular wine were running out. The scandal, the worst to hit France's wine industry for decades involves wine potentially worth tens of millions of pounds. And Britain is one of the firm's major markets. The wines are available from a few pounds to a, a, a bottle at High Street Stockists to uh, hundreds of pounds for grand crew from wine specialists and clubs. Customers were led to believe they were investing in upmarket chateau-produced vintages. Some bottles had individually numbered labels suggesting they were award-winning burgundies. The alleged scam was run between 2005 and 2009. Gendarmes, who carried out an 18-month investigation, have seized significant amounts of wine, and tax inspectors are now examining the company's records. A number of the executives from the firm have been arrested and questioned before being released, because I put it to you that you wouldn't have the faintest idea what you were drinking. Most people, you know, you, you stand... I've, I've given up in restaurants when the waiter comes over and they and you say, we'll have a bottle of so-and-so, and they bring it over to the table and they open, they pour a little bit out and say, let's just pour it. It's a 15-quid bottle of wine, just pour it. What could it be like? And so that's how it works. Some people are, are, are obviously very, very good, and other people are not very good at identifying wines. I've just arrived at school, says uh, Delia. And we heard the bit about teachers working or not very hard. It's a myth that we don't work very hard. By 6.30, I'm usually at work. With end of term coming up, we finish earlier in the year here. Uh, I'm working as soon as I put the kids to bed till 11pm. So there you go, you see, which is what we've said. We've said teachers work very, very hard indeed, but nobody ever credits them. They think that you all finish at, um, at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and that's as far as it goes. Uh, Steve says, Mari, I once heard you never find an atheist on a sinking ship. It is true. Uh, good hand washing, apparently. Good hand washing is actually more hygienic than wearing gloves for food preparation, which is why most workers on supermarkets, open food counters, don't wear them. Gloves collect bacteria and are never washed. In fact, that's by, by the same token, you should also never dry things up. When, you, when you've done your washing up at home, if you're not lucky enough to have um, you know, a, one of those um, machines that does it all for you, uh, don't ever use a tea towel because they harbour germs. Harbour worms. Harbour harbour germs. Clive in Kingston says went to a wet Liza Minnelli concert last night at Hampton Court Palace. It was amazing. One and a half hours non-stop. She was out of breath a few times, but who cares? Well done, Liza. Worth the hundred and five pounds I paid. Listen, if you're a fan, it's worth a million pounds. That's just about it for this morning. It's Friday morning. It's LBC ninety seven point three. I wish you a pleasant weekend. Hope it, I know, I'm just wrapping up slowly. I haven't done the front page of the papers, yeah. Getting all panicky next door. What's the matter with them? What's going on here? See, I'm, just sort of, I'm just sort of trying to be cheerful on a Friday morning, you know, just, a, just sort of trying to eke out the last few minutes that I'm allowed on the end of the programme before old Susie Bookbinder takes over. So I'm, sort of, I'm just sort of getting, getting myself ready for it. And telling you, on the front of the Daily Mail, they put a picture of Nancy DeLolio on there, but in fact it's to do with her masseur. The Daily Mirror 
have got Nicole Scherzinger. She's hardly wearing a dress here. It's very, very tight. But she's earned £750,000 to join X Factor. Um, and the Daily Express, they've got how the Westlife star Shane Phelan went bankrupt with debts of £18 million. That's it for this morning. I'll be back with you on Sunday morning. Looking forward to your company between 5 and 7. Don't forget you can download the, uh, the free podcast, which we've got coming up for you very, very shortly on LBC. That'll be up before uh, 7 o'clock this morning. And don't forget the blog as well, which you must check. It's got the details of the Magic Circle show on there. There's a link which we put up uh, yesterday. Have a great weekend. Nick and the team with you at 7. Next on LBC 97.3, it's the morning news with Susan Bookbinder. Every day.